Hello there, and welcome to episode. Oh, shit. Seven, um, right? Episode seven, around episode seven. Episode seven of the Game Sharks podcast, where we talk about our favorite thing in the world Sherlock. Ooh. Like That's the show Sherlock? Yeah, have you yeah. ever watched Sherlock? I have not. Is that the one Sherlock. with Benedict Cumberbatch? Yeah. yeah. It's hmm. my top five favorite shows of all time. Really? Damn, it's so. Along good. with Breaking Bad, The Last Airbender. Avatar, The Last Airbender, <laughs> Airbender Breaking Bad. Regular show, oh, regular Sherlock. Show. Yeah. Uh, maybe Death Note. Yeah. Oh no, probably Parks and Rec. Oh yeah, oh, really. that's a solid. That's a good list. Yeah, show. But it's a good list. Sherlock is watch. Alice and I have been. I'll add it to the list. We've been rewatching it, and it's so good, so good. Yeah. 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 It's, cool. It's, I'm, well, I gotta first finish watching. I'm watching the Marvel shows, and then I'm watching Breaking Bad. It it's only four seasons. Each season well, it's like three episodes. Three right? episodes, but yeah. each episode's an hour and a half. Yeah. Oh, little yeah. movies. Interesting. One of those. That's so fun. Good. And video games. Yes. <laughs> um, so today we're going to talk about a couple news things. We got some Zelda rumors. We got uh, a little bit of Pokemon news. We got an interesting patent with Sony. We're going to talk about for our main topic. Derek had Derek had the cool idea of having all of us talk about. The three games that influenced us most when we were kids. So, like, what got us into the video game world? What really inspired us and made us fall in love with the video games? So, we're going to talk about that later. But to start, I want to let you guys know we got an email. Is it from Steve? We got not only one email, but we got two two emails, emails. one of All which right. is from steve so we're gonna start new new record this episode well anything would have been a new record by reading <laughs> let me have this by reading our two emails so the first email comes from steve who sent us a list of his top 10 video games of the past decade nice uh, yes. he, he told me about this awesome. so so we're gonna read through it we'll go from bottom to the top and uh he has a little note on the bottom so i'll read that at the end but his number 10 game is Star Wars Battlefront 2. Okay. Which, oh, I was going to say one. which one. Yeah, the one that came out this decade. Yeah. <laughs> number nine, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Okay. It came out this decade? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 2011, wow, I want to say. yep. Okay. Damn. Number eight, Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Obviously the new one. Yes. Number seven, Wolfenstein The New Order. Oh, okay. Number six, Assassin's Creed Odyssey. All right, I'm sensing a theme. Number five, Call of Duty's Black Ops 2. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. <laughs> Number four, Middle-Earth Shadow of Mordor, uh-huh. which is a very cool game. Number three, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, again. Oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Hang on. He's, that, he's talking about uh, the third one in the Ezio trilogy. Revelations? Yes, that's what it's supposed to be. Not, oh, okay. Not, he, put he, really, he put Revelations Revelations over Brotherhood? Brotherhood? He has a parenthesis here. He says, it has two parts, a hook and a blade, an elegant uh, design. He's quoting <laughs> some dude. Yeah, he, loves, yeah, he really blade. loves that. <laughs> and number two, Dante's Inferno. And number one, Tom Clancy's The Division. Huh. Oh, and at the bottom, he said, I really... Okay. S- Struggled to figure out what my game, what games I have played since 2010. The only games kept off my list are Madden and Star Wars Battlefront One. So I didn't know Steve played that many video games over a decade. That's, yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, did he did the ten games he played in one decade? <laughs> well, he said there's two that got left off, so it seems yeah. like he played twelve. He he only owns an Xbox. He doesn't have a PlayStation. He doesn't have a Nintendo console. He doesn't play things on a computer. So obviously he's very right, limited very to what limited, he can yeah. play. And you can kind of see where his preferences lie. He really likes Assassin's Creed. He likes Call of Duty games. But it's a pretty solid list. I think, Derek, you this is a list more akin to the types of games that you play. Yeah, I mean, I, 
some gr- interesting ones like bro- Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is in my opinion the best Assassin's Creed that I've played. I ha- yes. I am very far behind in that series. I thought you liked Black Flag the best. Oh, I did like Black Flag. <laughs> yeah. Everyone <laughs> uh, likes Black Flag. Brotherhood the is the second best, but I mm-hmm. uh, I have heard good things about Odyssey and um Origins. Yes. So, uh but I haven't I'm I have Unity which Isn't was the that one the that, bad one. Well, it's so it's not I've heard it's not actually bad now because they fixed the game. Okay. Oh, cool. But when it came out, it was like broken mess. And yeah, terrible. I've seen some glitches I've and some heard, graphical things. Uh, for some people, it is their favorite. So I am, cool. it's on, it's in my backlog. Eventually I'll pick it up and uh, kind of try to work my way because I do want to play like Odyssey or Origins, but I think I got to play the other ones kind of mm-hmm. to appreciate the steps they've made. Yeah, but, play them in order. And uh, Shadow of Mordor is a great, I, I forgot about that one. Yeah, That's I've only one. played the beginning of it. I think it's in. I don't know if it's in our video game book club hat. Shadow of Mordor? Yeah. How or, long or is if it? it? It's not that long. It's, it's not like that long. 25 really? hours. Huh. Really? That's it? Yeah. It's decently short. Uh, yeah. I, it's either in there or I was planning on you putting it in there because I own it and I've only played the first hour oh. or two of it and I want to play all of it. Um, hmm. I imagine Andrew and Adam haven't played it. You Correct. have, Derek? Yeah, I have played. I never played the sequel, though. I haven't played the second one yet. Shadow of War. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see if we ever end up playing that for that. Maybe. But yeah, solid list. I appreciate it, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Thank you for reaching out to us. And our second email. Take notes, fools. <laughs> our second email. Uh, remember last week when I was talking about my brother? Yeah, and, yeah. And Lord of the Rings, he emailed us <laughs> to tell us the the conclusion of him watching the Lord of the Rings trilogy on his birthday. So this is from my brother Matt. Hello, gentlemen, and Andrew. Whoa, <laughs> oof! Long time okay. listener, first time emailer here. Enjoying the show. Make sure your information is accurate as your podcast is my only source of video game news. (laughs) (laughs) To answer your question from the last episode, yes, I completed the extended versions of Lord of the Rings trilogy in one day. Started at 11 and finished sometime around 1030. I have one very important rule for a marathon of this nature. Once you start the movies, there shall be no pausing or passing. Get it? You shall not pass. Yeah. (laughs) Never mind. This includes pausing for bathroom breaks, phone calls, and text messages, or... When I went outside to acquire my takeout, Indian food. Mm. Anyway, question for the pod. I don't always have time to play video games, so I tend to gravitate toward games that are not too difficult. Have you ever given up on a game because it was too hard? Are there any games that you've never attempted to play because you heard it was too difficult? Looking forward to the next episode, Matt. Yes, Dark Souls. (laughs) Not going anywhere near that. Uh, Dark Souls for me was also the one I thought of when it was uh, the second part of his question. Is there a game you've never... That was the first part of his question for me. I started Dark Souls. That's right. You did start start Dark Souls and you quit it. Yeah. Yeah. That was for me the one where I was like, I don't want to go near it. But we have Derek here who that's his favorite style of game. I've persevered through through most of them. Uh, But there have been bosses in the game that I have just not done because they were too hard you like attempted them started yeah. fighting them and then decided oh i can't I have do this still not be in the nameless king in dark souls 3 and so i still have not beat the game <laughs> and so, wait is it one of the, like the final boss no but and it, uh, uh so dante and i had a bet to see who could uh my friend dante who might be a listener on the podcast hi dante uh, email us Maybe. if you're listening dante <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, we had a bet um, that the we had to, the winner, whoever beat the game the fastest, the other bought uh, dinner. Okay. Um, 
I have never beaten Dark Souls 3, so I still have not won or lost the bet. <laughs> I think I still have five hours. It was Oh, the, the condition was to be all bosses in the vanilla game. Okay. Um, so I have two bosses left. I have the, the final boss, and I have the Nameless King, and I have not beaten either of them. And I, saw, I have about five hours, I think, to beat them before I pass his time. So... One day, maybe. So you have five hours in order to be able to beat his... Are you allowed to start a new file, get up to them, practice, and then go back to your original file? Uh, or would that be cheating? No, I think that would be cheating. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, okay. When I started The Nameless King, I think I was 10 hours ahead. So. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Yikes. You got crushed. Yeah. And I think we've all had a boss fight experience like that at right, some point right. or another. I'm there right now in Final Fantasy X. Yeah, you're getting slapped. I can't, I can't beat it. <laughs> Adam, is there any games that you've been playing and just got so hard that you had to stop playing? Uh, nothing recently, but there is one game where like it wasn't a quick game for me. I got it for like 15 bucks on the eShop. My friend Dwayne introduced this to me. It's called Fury. I think I mentioned this to you guys briefly one yeah, time. Yeah, you were but talking to us about it once. I didn't talk about it on the podcast yet. So though, For those who don't know, Fury is a game entirely of boss fights. There is no platforming. There's no adventure. It's cinematics where you're kind of learning the story of this guy who's in this weird space jail thing for some mm-hmm. reason. And then between each, basically the only combat in this game is it's purely boss fights. And each boss is wildly different than the last. So like first boss, I need like 20 attempts to beat. And then I think I get in the hang of the combat system. Then all of a sudden this next boss is like something completely different. Interesting. That kind it, of sounds it's, up it's my a, alley. It's really fun. I should mm. bring my Switch next week so you can see it. Is it it's on Switch? It's on Switch. It's a cheap little indie game, but mm-hmm. it's really fun. It's a combination of a bullet hell, twin stick, shooter, okay. mm-hmm. pack and slash, because your main weapon's a sword, but you also have a gun you can charge up. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the boss fights revolve around dodging their attacks, waiting for them to come in for you. Because it switches between you moving around the field and getting in close, and then at certain points in the boss fight, it'll switch into a more focused one-on-one mm-hmm. combat style where like your map view shrinks dramatically and you're stuck in a smaller area. Okay. Hmm. But like I said, each boss fight is wildly different. Hmm. There's one boss who legitimately the, the map size is like five times bigger than any of the previous ones. And she's a sniper. Uh, <laughs> so uh. most of the boss fight is dodging her sniper mm-hmm. shots and figuring out where the hell she is. Mm-hmm. Cause it's really hard to tell. So it's a very unique experience. I haven't actually fully beat it yet because there are some bosses where you got to be really perfect on your timing because you can, you've got a large health bar, but you can also heal if you parry correctly. And sometimes if you just take enough hits, you're just down before the count. Mm-hmm. So solid. It, it's definitely interesting, but definitely one of those things where I had to kind of go back to it every now and again when I'm feeling up for the challenge. Yeah, like once in a while you just get so defeated. You're like, okay, I need to step away from this like, for a little like, bit. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like Jeff smash. Yeah, like, shh. We don't talk about my smash anger on this podcast. Yeah. It's one of those things where like you lose to a boss 20 times over. It's like, okay, I'm going to put this down for a little bit. Yeah. Come back later. That was me with a crash bandicoot. (laughs) That's a good one for that. Yeah. 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 Deceptively hard. That game. No, I don't think it's very deceptive at all. It's just hard. Yeah. Like you wouldn't think about it though. It's just like you you go back to playing and it's like, oh wait, this was actually hard. So here's my hot take. Crash bandicoot's hard because it's a poorly designed game, but we'll get into that another time. Ooh, that sounds like a conversation in itself. Yeah, we can have a big conversation about that at some point. I don't want to get into those, that can of worms now. So I had two games that I wrote down that uh, caused me to rage quit. Mm-hmm. Or not necessarily rage quit. They were just too difficult. Well, one of them I rage quit. The first one is Skyward Sword. 
I might have mentioned uh, this yeah. on the podcast. No, yeah, I think you've talked about. I physically could not get past the second dungeon because I could not do the motion controls in the correct direction to kill enemies. <laughs> My hands could not do the correct <laughs> action, so I could not pass forward in the game. So I just decided I'm done. I'm not playing this game anymore. It's not worth it. The other one, which was actually straight up too difficult was Castlevania Rondo of Blood, which is the one that stars Richter. Yes. That takes place right before Symphony of the Night. And it was the last one of the old style mm. where it's uh, left to right, yeah, level-based, 2D platformer. You have your whip, and you have the sub-weapons like the cross and the holy water and the Bible. And I got to the second to last level, and I just... I tried for hours and hours, and I could not beat it. It starts with a bridge the start of this level mm-hmm. and you walk take the first step onto the bridge and it starts to break apart so everything up until this point i've so far have done in this game is taking my time walking back and forth a little bit zoning mm-hmm. people out with the whip but the second you step onto this bridge it starts to collapse so you have to run forwards and like bunny hop your way across the bridge and on top of that there's these bat enemies that do this up and down uh. s motion that pop up maybe one every one and a half, two seconds. So you have to, I don't know if you just have to learn their pattern perfectly. It seemed like it was a little bit different every time and it seemed like absolute horseshit bullshit and I hated <laughs> it and so mad. I would get past the bridge maybe one out of 10 tries and the, the times I would get past it, I'd have such little health that I would just die. So I was, I just thought to myself, it's like, it's not worth it. I'm getting so <laughs> angry this at this. It was the second to last level, so it was really hard to walk away, but eventually mm-hmm. I was like, I can't do this anymore. So I ended up never beating that game. That was Halloween, not 2019, but 2018. I was playing those games. I played that in uh, Symphony of the Night. Man, that was rough. So yeah, I've had my, I've had those games for sure. Had those moments in Hollow Knight. Yeah, but we yeah. persevered. We all exactly. persevered. Yes. So worth it. Um, cool. So yeah, thank you, Stephen Matt, for sending us an email. Rude, Matt. <laughs> I approve. Of course, uh, you do. Second. If anyone else wants to have a question of theirs answered on the podcast, just send us an email at gamesharkspodcast at yahoo.com. And if it's a good question, we'll read it out and we'll discuss it because that was a pretty sweet conversation. We enjoyed uh, enjoyed your question. So we're going to move on to some news. First up, I was talking to Andrew a little bit and we just really don't care about Pokemon news these days. <laughs> Fair enough. It just new things come out about the expansion passes and whatnot. Yeah, they like release a new Gigantamax form. Yeah, and I'm just I'm I just don't care. And I see I see a bunch of people, particularly some of my friends on Twitter, getting excited for it and being super hyped about the news of one new form for one new Pokemon and I'm like, Okay. Yeah. I don't I just don't understand personally. However, something big has happened in Pokemon that I felt like need, we need to address here. So, Pokemon Home launched on the Switch and on mobile. So, this is the, like the PC, the the big the world new PC. Pokemon bank. Yeah, the new Pokemon Bank, where you can store Pokemon outside of the games in this app and then distribute distribute them back into your game. And it's like just a way to save and transfer Pokemon between games. No one cares about that. The big news is there's a new form of Professor Oak, <laughs> and he has a mullet. Whoa. I'm going to show you what he looks like. Oh, my God. Yeah. So if you haven't... And he's got those new age glasses. He has these glasses that are arrows that are pointing to the left and right. He has just a chin puff beard. That's pointing to the side. He has watch. his normal hair style on top, but it 
goes down to oh about God. halfway down his stomach. So if you haven't seen what he looks like, you can just do a quick Google search for. Uh, his name is even better. What is? Yeah, what's the? What do they call him? Grand Oak. Yeah. Grand. Oak. So just do a quick Google search for Pokemon Grand Oak and just hmm. look at how absurd and <laughs> goofy he looks. Is he like run this Poke Home thing? I guess. I don't know. Oh, I didn't do any didn't research, research to see why he exists. I just know that he does. Exist. He does exist. And I don't know how I feel. I can't tell if this is the greatest thing they've ever done, <laughs> or if I hate it. The answer is yes. So, yeah. Uh, for those who are interested, if you sign up for Pokemon Home, uh, when you open the mobile version, you can get a free Charmander Scroll or Bulbasaur with a new hidden ability, or not a new hidden ability, just whatever their hidden ability is. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's a thing. Pokemon, <laughs> yeah, real weird. All right, let's move on to something that is interesting, and we will all be super excited about. There is rumors about Breath of the Wild 2. I, heard, I read these. I was very so, I've not heard about these rumors. They're from 4chan, so okay. yeah, take so, what you ooh, will from that. Crazy grain of salt here. Probably not real in any uh, capacity. However, talking about it is interesting because it kind of gets the mind right, right. thinking about where the game could go. So it says that the title for Breath of the Wild 2 is Legend of Zelda Bond of the Triforce. And we'll be getting a trailer for it relatively soon. So a lot okay. of people have been saying, Andrew was just telling me that this is the longest drought of not having a Nintendo Direct since they started doing them. Technically, oh, the, really? Okay. okay. I was going to say, technically the second longest yeah. since Nintendo was founded in 1889. <laughs> um, so people, so this person, this leaker says that we'll get um, a trailer when that Direct inevitably happens. And that in the game, Zelda will be able to harness the power of nature to assist Link with opening up the world and doing things like changing the weather. Okay, that sounds awesome immediately. Right? The game, the game's gimmick will be the ability to switch between Link and Zelda in dungeons with Link uh, the only one playable in the open worlds. And then, okay, yeah, Zelda will be able to harness the power of nature to assist Link to, uh, to open up the world and do things like change the weather. It's the Wind Waker Earth and Wind Temples brought yeah. to life. That's, that's okay. immediately what I thought when I read that. Interesting. So, yeah, this could be super cool. It's going to introduce new enemies, have a magic gauge and new items and okay. a plow looking weapon. All right. <laughs> sure. Whatever that means. Um, but yeah. Obviously, again, this is someone from 4chan, and we all know that nothing on 4chan really ever comes true. So everybody on 4chan's a leaker, but no one's ever actually right about anything. They're more so just educated guessers. Mm. But what what are your thoughts on this? If it were to be real, how do you feel it about? Sounds cool. Yeah, I know, Derek. You said your biggest flaw with Breath of the Wild was. Or one of the biggest ones was lack of dungeons. So it sounds, according to this, like they'd be going back to dungeons and right. Yeah, I, and it's in- interesting the idea of of having to switch back and forth for for puzzles. I think you know that makes them a little more intricate. Um, you could make some more intricate puzzles. I'm trying to think. Yeah, like the the dungeons from Wind Waker, where you're mostly just kind of like carrying them around and, and commanding and putting, them. Yeah, commanding them to do things, but. Um, I, I do I do like the idea of of kind of like what you're saying like if she has her own abilities like okay yeah you go over here and then you got to move Zelda over here so she can do this thing and then you're able to do this thing um, yeah I love the idea of of Zelda her, the character having more agency in right. the game itself as opposed to just being the damsel especially with this Zelda what do you think what would your thoughts be if it was this 
but co-op and one person was Zelda and one person was Link and you went to the dungeons co-op. Co- that would I just be came. In- oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay, a little bit TMI, but that would be very interesting. <laughs> yeah, think like Gooigi and Luigi yeah. in Luigi's yeah, Mansion 3. Yeah, That was great. Be, akin be, to that. So it'd be interesting, but you think it'd be only dungeons because that what, what this is evidently saying is that Zelda is only in dungeons. Yeah, well, Which, it sounds like she's following you around, but she only would be controllable in dungeons. Maybe. That also makes me think it could be like a story reason for maybe why she's only in dungeons. Maybe. Like it might be a story thing. I'm I'm uh, I'm reading it as like she's there with you, but for the sake of being able to con- like so, actually control her. This makes me think back to um, specifically uh, Bioshock Infinite. Where uh, I think originally, um, I, don't, I don't know if you guys played. It's on my. It's on my. I watched my roommate play it in college. Okay, so the uh, I can't remember her name, but the the woman Elizabeth Elizabeth is with you the whole game, and I think originally in the development she's supposed to be able to do a little more, um, but mo- like throughout the most of the game she she's always with or for most of the game she's with you, and you just like you give her commands to have her do things like so that makes me think like maybe like in the trace. open world she might always be with you, and but and uh, but maybe not playable in a sense because it sounds like well okay yeah in open world you don't really need to split up maybe her uses like like uh if she's you know changing the weather to unlock new areas or whatever or um you know might have little things she can do to to kind of progress or traverse um but i do like the yeah like in dungeons it sounds like yeah like it would make sense for her to be a playable character it's an enclosed space so it it makes me think a lot of that like I, i did really like that that you had this companion who just wasn't just following you around the whole game and really not doing anything. You would, you know, give her commands to like, um, you know, bring in objects from other worlds and crap. And, uh, yeah, it made me think of that. Maybe in, if there, they did go for a, a co-op type thing within dungeons, you could continue to do co-op with Link and Zelda in the main world. So say there's, uh, a camp of moblins or something mm-hmm. and link tries to go take them head on but zelda's off to the side shooting arrows or throwing Flanking. yeah throwing magic or something to distract them so like, you're fighting things in the overworld together and then when you get into dungeons you start solving puzzles together that sounds so cool that would be cool obviously i think sorry adam obviously there would be a way mm-hmm. for it to work as a single player thing like in the dungeon switching back and forth and then maybe in the overworld turning the or tuning down the difficulty so it's not as they're not doing as much damage or something. Mm-hmm. It, it went obviously Zelda would be controlled by AI or something along along those lines. I think that could be super cool. Yeah, so I was gonna say I'm thinking about how this re- might relate to the footage we've already seen, like the teaser with that very like what obviously looks like some kind of weird hand holding back what looks like Ganondorf. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious as we saw like that hand reach for what was maybe a falling Zelda. So like that image, that imagery kind of made me think like whatever that hand is, it like maybe merges with Link in a sense, maybe gives him some power. Maybe. So I don't know, like like one of my gut reactions to like, like here's how I would think it might work. So maybe it's like a thing where maybe Zelda's not with you in the overall, but she can like communicate with you in a sense. I was thinking it'd be really cool to be like, uh, guys remember uh, Phantom Hourglass with the Temple of the Ocean King? I never played Phantom Hourglass. Yeah, so, I never finished it. Yeah, okay, so the whole <laughs> so the whole shtick of the Phantom Hourglass was on the first island, there's this dungeon but you can't get through the entire thing in your first run through. So after every other dungeon, you go back to this one mega dungeon okay. and keep diving further and further in. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking, what if, what if it's something like, like in that opening cavern scene we saw in our little teaser, 
what if Zelda gets stuck down there? But like every time you go back down there, you're finding more like what if what if the reason we never saw dungeons in the first one is that they're all underground somewhere? Hmm. Maybe because hmm. it kind of makes me think they're gonna go back to the same Hyrule. So where are they gonna put these dungeons? That's a good point. Yeah. I literally have no idea where they're going to go with this game and the possibilities are endless. Yeah. Exactly, they're endless, but I think it'd be kind of cool if they kind of built off that a little bit because, you know, going back underground each time where Zelda is stuck and that's why she's with you just for dungeons or something. Hmm. But then, that like, maybe it's maybe cool. it's like one mega dungeon like Phantom Hourglass is Temple of the Ocean King or maybe you're like, maybe the underground is like an entirely like a new big thing labyrinth. to explore mm. and, like, you're just finding the dungeons in there. Interesting. Once you, like, find keys or something, I don't know. This yep. is me... Think of something that'd be cool, and why they could explain story-wise Zelda not being in the overworld. Again, this is this is all coming from 4chan, yeah, right. and I oh think, yeah, no, I don't trust a lot of it, but it's still cool to think. About. I think every where all the predictions are kind of going is some combination of playable Link and Zelda, and I'm wondering if these are all just feeding off of each other and are all based off of the one trailer we've gotten where you happen to see them together. Right, right. the game could have nothing to do with. Zelda being playable, but it just True. seems everyone just seems to be scene. yeah everyone right, seems to kind right. of be leaning towards that. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens. Although I do believe we'll be getting some kind of trailer. Yeah, we have to ish because it's been seven months since the teaser. I yeah. mean, I personally think this is a 2020 game, but a lot of people think it could be easily easily be next year. I think I'm, it'll I'm probably thi- be 2021. I'm thinking late 2020 or early 21. Yeah, so two. we'll see. It depends on when they choose to release it. Would obviously dictate when they'd want to release a new trailer. If it's not coming out for a little while, then there's no point in doing. But a I mean, lately now. we've been seeing like these Nintendo Direct announcements like the day before. Like we're not getting a lot of build up to them. True. So like we're not gonna know until like it's almost upon us. Anyway. Yeah, but I don't right. know. I don't think it's anything well, even a close to a given that a Breath of the Wild two trailer would be in the uh, next direct. Oh, that's fair. But still, I think we're gonna get something within the next few months. We'll see. Just it's been a while. I want to say I feel like we have to get something within the next two months because right i we got to get something for something for nintendo because no, they have no announced games after animal Crossing. right yeah okay so we have to be getting something soon yeah they, they gotta keep us interested here also yeah. uh what say so the fifth fifth smash characters come out right mm-hmm. yes because uh, i want to I, I wonder if uh maybe it'll coincide with like the announcement of the first of the next pass you know well, i'm maybe sure if they, they if they do directs. like a nintendo direct it will be there probably yeah. Um, if not a gameplay trailer, then just an announcement. It has to be we'll something like Joker. I feel like it's got to be soon. Before I think we're gonna get one before E3. Oh, well, yeah, yeah before yeah. E3. Yeah, yeah. I'm I not convinced, that... but we'll see. Who knows? It depends. Wait, you mean a Smash character before E3? Uh, or are they talking about Zelda? a direct? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we're gonna. Get oh, a there'll direct. be a direct. I thought you were saying specifically no, Zelda trailer. A Smash character that might be uh, in the treehouse, kind of. They you know do a direct and announce the next character or something. But gotcha. That'd be cool. But we've also seen that trend of Nintendo tends to focus on one game for E3 nowadays. Like That's most true. of their presentations are one. So it's a question of what would it what's be? that going to be this year? Yeah, because mm. right now we have nothing. I think it's going to be Breath of the Wild too, and I'm, it'll come out in the fall. But I'm kind of with you in that camp. I think it's the I, most logical yeah. choice right now. The other thing is just a game that we don't know about yet. So yeah. that'd be that'd be interesting. Mario Kart Nine. Nah, mm. I don't know if Mario Kart is that's, really. Uh, it's not quite like E3 a, worthy. Yeah. Mario Kart is historically always one of the top selling games on every yeah. console. That yeah, every, but it's a console seller. It is, but that's more out of like a consistency of it being fun, I think. I yeah. feel like it's the kind of game they devote the show floor to. They've been one and the same for the last several years. Exactly. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. Like they, might yeah. not, like they won't devote the entire floor to Mario Kart. I think they absolutely would. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, I don't see. think they would come out with nine. No. 
they already uh, I, I wish they just released more DLC, DLC for eight. Yeah, DLC for eight. No way, it's so far removed. They would just make a. They'd make so much money just putting out a new Mario Kart because everyone would buy it. Everyone always buys the new Mario Kart, no matter yeah, what. Mario Kart Eight is a Wii U game. Also, what they should just do is make Nintendo Kart because they're already putting Link in. Link. They're already putting Animal Freaking Crossing characters, yes. Inkling. Yep. Oh. Just turn Mario Super. Kart into. Smash Mario, Kart. Super Smash Kart Melee Ultimate. <laughs> just, yeah, just make Nintendo Kart and basically just take the Smash roster and, and put, put it in, in carts. <laughs> that's that's buy, the dream. I'd buy that. All mm-hmm. right. Let's move on to our last piece of news that we're going to talk about. Have you read about the new Sony patent that has been filed? No. No. no? Oh, Derek, I'm surprised you haven't seen this yet. So Sony has patented an AI tool that can help PlayStation players if they get stuck in a game. So... Let me read for you what they say. Um, In the patent filing for something called in-game resource surfacing platform, Sony describes a scenario in which a player is stuck in a video game that they may need help to overcome. Quotations, many video games have hundreds of thousands of individual items for users to earn, find, or purchase and use within a video game, it says in the patent description. The AI tool... Also, I'm reading this off of IGN. Uh The AI tool that Sony is hoping to patent would help search the and identify in-game resources that assist a player based on contextual data and data from a community of similar players. So basically what it does is it's recording everyone who's playing these games, what they're doing in the game at any given time, how far they are in the game, what what their inventories look like, what they've done uh, so far and what they haven't done. And basically, if a player chooses, they can use the help of this AI to to progress in the game. So mean, the AI would find out how the players completed the obstacles up until that point uh, and then point the players towards either, and this is where it gets interesting, uh, a store in the in a store in-game online. Sorry, let me try that again. It'll point them to things either in-game or online that can help them complete the objective or even uh, advance the game to a point past uh, past the obstacle. What they're saying is it could be either point you towards something in-game or say, hey, this microtransaction could help you to advance in your game. Oh, there it is. And that's where this gets sketchy. I don't think this would will ever exist anyways. You don't think this is something? No. They patent things all the time, the technologies like this. Yeah. Uh, many people, like the foldable PSP, I don't think many people remember that. That never came out. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. It's just technology. Some might call it a DS. Um, I don't think, uh, yeah. Like, especially this is like a machine, you know, AI machine learning, like, mm. There's no way I don't think this if it ever does become a thing it won't be until like next generation after PS5 yeah. and also PS this sounds like six. it's something that um would make it more complicated for developers developing because they would have to keep in mind that uh Sony has this AI running in the background that A could like influence the game and like it just there's there's a lot there like that is like this sounds like it would be really t- stupid and make life's life for developers harder you think so yeah hmm. i kind of also feel like, like for me personally i think it would kind of ruin the fun of certain things because a lot of the fun Definitely. i gain from like as we'll talk about later in my game choices a lot of the joy i get from games is like that feeling of accomplishment from figuring out that puzzle so i think if i just had like on rare occasions i have had to go online because i've just been stuck for like 20 hours on one puzzle and i just mm-hmm. need like that mm-hmm. little push 
But for the most part, I just persevere through it until I figure out the best way to do it. So I think for me, like having an AI sitting right next to me at any given point to say, hey, here's the solution that kind of, for me personally, that takes out the point of me playing. Right. Yeah. Plus, if you did want to, you know, figure out how to do something in the game, you could just look it up on the internet for free instead. Yeah, exactly. And plus, like, I feel like if I had every answer to everything I ever played, I'd have like half the total play hours lifetime. Yeah. I mean, this would obviously be opt-in. I don't think it would ever be on oh, by yeah, default. Or it might be on by default, but you could easily turn it off. So it wouldn't just automatically be present in every game you play without yeah. you having a say in it. Uh, Ubisoft. Ubisoft? Ubisoft. Yes. Ubisoft has uh, been working on an AI service called Sam, which can track progression in games. Uh, and Google Stadia has also talked about having a similar AI-based thing to kind of keep track of where you are in games, what you're doing in uh, what was it? Game states, so you could like hop into a game in a very specific point. Yeah. So you can kind of jump past obstacles you may have. So these are things that not more than just Sony are looking into. Uh, it's things other companies seem to have interest in, which makes me think there's kind of a race to see who can make it work first. Which is why I think it will inevitably happen. It's just a matter mm. of when. Yeah, I don't know if it'll really be well received. Yeah, I, I, that's why I don't think. The yeah, like this doesn't seem like to me something that that a people are going to re- react well to, and b it, it doesn't seem like a technology that's worth putting time into. I could see the value in it for people who aren't very active gamers. Like we are, all of us are right. very active gamers. We are very embedded in the video game world. But for someone who just yeah buys a new PlayStation to buy the new Call of Duty or hears about this crazy fun cool action game it's like oh i guess i'll pick that up or, or buys, season games on sale you know every other assassin's creed game exactly someone who's just a really big assassin's creed fan but doesn't want to put in the effort um to like figuring everything out this would be something super useful for them the amount of money the reason microtransactions exist is because well for progression's sake is because there are people out there who will spend the money right, on it right. that's the reason yeah. why these things exist is because it works so there are people out there who would who pay money to have the game beaten for them. Right. And we'll take shortcuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Life is money and point. time. So, and there's so many people who have, they like video games, but they have more money than they have time. So they'll pay the money. So I can see why they're working on this. Cause in the end, I think it could make them money. If someone's struggling in a game and an artificial intelligence recognizes it and thinks, Hey, if you give us money, you can buy this thing that would make this way easier for you. And there are plenty of people who don't play a lot of video games. That would be like, yeah, that sounds good to me. I'll spend three bucks to do that so I can continue in this game. You I know? mean, some games already implement that feature too. Yeah. I mean, it really depends on the game though. Yeah. I couldn't even give you an example. I know there's a lot of scuttlebutt about uh, Shadow of Mordor, which we were talking about, or, or uh, Shadow of War, which Shadow we were talking War, about earlier, yeah. where they had, um, they had microtransactions that had impact on, I think, what weapons that you got and stuff like that. And like, Gameplay related stuff. I don't know, but I think they're all gone now. I think they removed all of them from the game. I think so too. That's why I think this wouldn't, this would be like uh, just terrible because um, like the majority of the vocal, the vocal gaming community uh, would, I think, especially if, if it's recommending microtransactions, which, you know, the vocal gaming community has been fighting back about, uh, especially not just microtransactions, but pay-to-win microtransactions. Um, 
I yeah, I don't. Th- I think it would be kind of uh, suicide. <laughs> so, <laughs> unfortunately, what speaks louder, the vocal community or the money that the people are throwing at the microtransactions? Because we uh, learned what happened with Pokemon Sword and Shield, but we also know what happened with the Xbox One. And that is true. The vocal but, community, but people paid with or they voted with their money on that, and they didn't buy the consoles. So right, they changed it. That's but and that's my point is that things like microtransactions to help games progress are working. They're making money off of it, so therefore, right. But if it's a console integrated technology, that's what that's uh, that's what uh, I'm looking at. If okay, it's a console integrated technology, that you know the the war the war that exists but also doesn't exist anymore. Um, the fake console war. Yeah, because it 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 doesn't exist anymore between the companies, but it exists still in in the community in some of the minds of the community. Yeah, um, and especially when it when you have controversial things like this. If you know, Sony comes out and says, "Hey, hey, we'll have this AI, and it could help you with games, and also maybe it will tell you to buy things." And Microsoft is like, "We're still all about the gamers. No, no microtransactions on our console." People will go, "Okay, well, I'm jumping to PC or or to Xbox," and then Sony's going, "Ah, oh, shit, we and fucked up." Thus is the natural order of the world. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if I had if Microsoft's Cortana AI started bothering me during uh, playing a game, I would downgrade to windows 7 i don't you know i don't <laughs> like yeah. didn't they get rid of cortana ai I think on, it's, on the xbox at least I it's don't no think, it's yeah it's off the xbox but yeah. i think it's still technically on a on, but still like I don't, that would annoy the shit out of me i would i would not buy an xbox i would not buy a playstation if there was an ai that was That's constantly heckling you to spend money or be or like hey listen. like yeah i'm just gonna say remember navi <laughs> recording all like my data and shit you know like eh, i don't really yeah i don't really want that stuff i it's i mean there probably is already some kind of reporting system in involved in xboxes and playstations whatever that records your play data and stuff like that but if it's you know doing that kind of shit it's like ah that sucks i don't want that yeah understandable we'll see what ends up happening it's going to be a interesting feature for video games this year is going to be something special with the mm-hmm. new consoles so sony if you're listening to this podcast please do not do that <laughs> uh all right let's take a break and then when we come back we will talk about the games that influenced us as kids Hooray nostalgia Hello, we are back, and the four of us, I keep forgetting to say our names at the beginning of the podcast. I'm I Jeff, mean, and today I'm joined by Adam, Derek, Andrew, and, and, I forgot my name, and Andrew. <laughs> I, gotta, I keep forgetting to do that. That's kind of important. I mean, bit. they know who we are yeah. at this point, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. New listeners. It's true. Uh, so the four of us are going to talk about the three video games that influenced this, influenced us. The three video games that influenced us the most when we were kids. So we defined kids as the parameters of something we had played before high school. And the rest is kind of up to you on what the game did for you personally and towards your your love of games. So we're going to start to my left. We'll each do our number one. And then we'll go around two and three. So Adam, tell us about your first game. All right, so it was hard picking it just three. <laughs> Agreed. But I think top of this list, I don't remember the exact name, but it was a single disc for the GameCube 
that contained the, the GameCube demo disc. It contained the original two Zelda games, Ocarina of oh. Time, oh. Zelda Collector's oh. Edition. Mask. Sorry, it was a Collector's Edition. That's the name. Yes, the most and coveted GameCube game of all that's time. That's funny. I think. That's I, like, I no longer have it. Unfortunately, I don't yeah. know what happened to it, but it contained. Legend of Zelda, Legend of Zelda 2, whatever that was called. Link's, uh, Adventure of Link. Adventure yeah. of Link, Ocarina of Time, and Majora's Mask. Yeah. As and well as a 20-minute de- Wind Waker demo. Yeah, a 20-minute Wind Waker demo, which a seven-ish-year-old me never realized was a demo and kept trying to go through faster. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But that, that disc, I think, was my first ever foray into the Legend of Zelda series, oh. which clearly we all still love to this day. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Oh, man. So I remember like trying to get through the first couple levels of Ocarina of Time. It wasn't until much later where I actually got good at these games and made mm-hmm. progress. Because, you know, you hand a seven-year-old a puzzle game of that caliber, and, you know, you're not always going to find your way through it. But I remember like those opening scenes to the Ocarina of Time. The uh, It had like three distinct places you could port into for the Wind Waker demo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like the Forsaken Fortress, Dragon Roost, or the dungeon on Dragon Roost. Mm-hmm. But I just remember that being like, I'd always try to like get as much progress as I could in that little 20 minute window. <laughs> yeah. And like I'd try to get further and further in Ocarina, you know, eventually just figuring stuff out. But it wasn't until the 3DS version where I actually finally got through and beat it. I don't know what happened to that collector's edition disc, but. I remember in the, uh, the, the Wind Waker demo getting always. Uh, falling through the trap doors, trying to get to Tingle on Windfall exactly. Island. Exactly, that's the one thing I always did. That was so much fun. Eventually, I had that pattern memorized. To yeah, get to the pictograph <laughs> in the back. But yeah, that's just my earliest memory of experiencing the Zelda franchise. Even though I didn't really know what it was at that point, mm. and even to this day, I am very much attracted to the action adventure exploration puzzle solving, like that kind of yeah, mix yeah. of things, like anything that even vaguely resembles. Zelda style gameplay is still high on my list of things I want to be playing. Mm. I honestly forgot about it until we brought up this question. And I'm like, what was that thing I used to play? Right. The Wing Waker demo. Oh, yes. And then actually getting to play Wing Waker, which I still have on the GameCube. Nice. Which I should I should hook that up and go mm. play that again sometime because that's Hell just yeah. so much fun. Actually getting to play through the Wing Waker fully was just an awesome experience. Yeah. Now, Adam, I'm really glad that this was on your list of games it because was, was it not on yours. It well, when I was first thinking of mine, it was one of the first ones I thought of, and I think up until you said it was on yours, it was still going to be on mine. <laughs> uh, but I, I've been going back and forth with it and another game, uh, trying to think of which one I think was more impactful on me. Um, so now that you've you know spoken your thing about this, I get to pick the other game. Um, but I, I guess I'll also talk about this now. But yeah. Playing all of those, you know, classic Zelda games, which came out before I was born, uh, was really formative for me, you know? Like, playing the original Zelda, which I also had on the NES. I think I also had Adventure of Link on the NES. But I played them on the Collector's Edition, and I remember Hmm. playing Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time. Not so much Ocarina of Time, but I played Majora's Mask, uh, and I remember not being able to progress in it at all. And I would have to ask Jared, our cousin Jared, how to do things when he was around. (laughs) like the king of Zelda. Yes. Uh, weird, weird tangent. Do you remember playing on that NES in your uh, in your shed? Yeah, Pokemon remember. Stadium? Remember? Oh yeah. Well, that was weird, that was weird way. Tangent, that, no, that was the um the N sixty four. That was the sixty four. Well, yeah, that was yeah. something. The NES was uh, in the camper, yeah, at the top of the yep. hill in your yeah. backyard. If you listen to that? our episode zero, you may recite it as my first gaming memory. That's <laughs> true. Um, but yeah, and I think not only not only the Zelda Collector's Edition, but that NES in general helped me 
be more in tune with games of the past because you know i was never like most of the kids i grew up with where everyone had an xbox 360 everyone was playing call of duty grand theft auto those kinds of game whereas i grew up on nintendo and i had a gamecube and an nes and an n64 uh, and i was playing a lot of old school games sadly i didn't have a, an, a super nintendo ever so i didn't really get to play any of what people define as the true classics right you know? yeah yeah um but I was still more rooted in the past, I think, and it helped me appreciate gaming as a whole instead of just the big mainstream stuff. Yeah. I uh, remember always wanting that disc, that game. Because <laughs> uh, I, I had it. I had gotten I had got you know, I had my GameCube, I had gotten Wind Waker, played Wind Waker, and I remember seeing it in the, you know, GameStop or back then i think it was it was funko, funko land, funko land. Oh, baby uh, or the, there was also an eb games mm-hmm. in, eb in my games town. baby uh or uh software etc uh i don't know that one. Oh yes before gamestop took over every single possible game uh store that was the, <laughs> this is why at one point when whenever they bought all that stuff there were four GameStops within a Two mile radius, not even a quarter mile radius in my town. Wow! Because they were just all there was a Funko stores. Land, there was an EB Games, there was a Software Etc., and there was another one, another EB Games. Oh, all wow. like and, and when GameStop bought them all, they all became GameStops. They didn't think like, hey, maybe we should sell one of these <laughs> yeah. buildings, make a little money. Now I think one of them is left. Yeah. But they, four of them dying. survived for a really long time. That's crazy. Uh, but yeah, so the, I would always go in and I would see it and I would never had enough money for it. Because like when I was, you know, I always bought used games because, but that the used game price for that one was always like full price because it was really rare. It wasn't like, yeah, like it was, it was a rare game. So it was always almost full price. And I just, I never had enough money. And then by the time, like I probably had enough money. They they had no more copies anymore. Aww. Like it was oh, everyone. Man. It was bought up and it was gone. And I never got to play it. Yeah, I also got to know where mine went. <sighs> I still have my copy. Um, I think I might have had to get a new one. Back when I was a kid, uh, I was really bad at taking care of games. <laughs> Jeff knows this. Yeah, you would leave them out of the cases. That's not true. And you had savage I dogs. I never did that. That my dogs are the, savages. Scratched up the discs. All of the bottoms of all your discs are always scratched. Yeah, okay. to hell. The part about me leaving them outside of the cases is untrue. I don't know how they got scratched. I don't up. know how they got scratched. <laughs> but Isn't that whatever? I don't know how it got scratched. <sighs> no, I don't know. I think my we decided my my parents you know were confused too. They were like, I think your GameCube is just messed up. When I was five for Christmas, I got. A GameCube and I got three games. I got Mario Kart Double Dash, Mario Party oh, Five, and the Zelda Collector's Edition. So, you know, the other two were you know party games. Uh, so Zelda Collector's Edition really introduced me to you know the big single player. Yeah, experiences. yeah. Actually, I didn't so. think about that, but yeah, that's probably like one of my original single player experiences. Yeah, for sure. So Derek. I am most interested in your list because I have no idea what's going to be on it. These two are my cousins who are younger than me, yeah. so I've watched them grow up, and I, I know their experiences. But you, you're weird. <laughs> All right, so I'll go with uh, uh, what I consider probably the mo- one of the most influential. So um, I think I talked about it in the first episode I was on. I played PC games a lot growing up um, before I ever I – didn't, I, like, I didn't have a SNES or an S – or anything like that. Um, I had a, we had a, a PC. So the game game slash game series. I'll go uh, that was super influential for me was uh, a series of first person shooter games called Delta Force. I've heard of Delta Force. <laughs> yeah. So my 
I'm pretty sure my dad had bought in them. Uh, he bought, bought like it was like a combo pack that was the first two games, Delta Force and Delta Force Two. Okay. And uh, eventually, I kind of just you know started playing it on our computer. Uh, they so they're like military military realism like it's like mm-hmm. one shot to kill a guy okay you die in like one shot um uh, but the the maps and everything were like completely open so if you think like uh the you know the first first person shoot you know like doom wolfenstein you know it's you, short corridors where you're kind of you know the levels were you know contained yeah. this the maps were just wide open like um it was just it, everything took place outdoors um and i think it was kind of like a fake gulf war russian war scenarios i remember like there were some where you were like in the snow like fighting russians and then other stuff where you're like in the desert um but yeah so it like the only guidance was you had a little map in the corner and um a like waypoints and you would just walk in the general direction of these little dots and you would maybe you would encounter enemies on the way and you would you know you'd shoot them and like sometimes it'd be little objectives like hey once you get here you know blow up the weapons or uh, blow up this tank or blow up this ship or just kill all the guys and I like being a young kid just kind of walked and explored all these levels uh, like all the time. And so I, I would get like super lost and have no idea where I was. And I like skip half the level and so, you know, like, cause there, there weren't really like clear conditions. Sometimes it was just like get to the extraction point. So sometimes I just walk all the way there on accident. Cause you could see, it would like tell you beforehand, like, all right, you go here, you go here, you go here, you go here. And then you end up at this last spot. And then sometimes I just walk all the way to that last spot. So it was like super influential for me. Cause it was like the first kind of open world, game for me like just kind of like this essence of exploring uh and stuff like that and then also it was my first first person shooter which would become a like defining uh genre for me i think throughout all the games yeah. i played um and then uh so i the other thing is i think well, eventually we got we we would but my dad bought like every single one that came out because he always he also liked to to play them so i think there was one that came out, um, the third one that came out, it was like called like Land Warrior or something like that. And it was the first that my dad created an online account before for. So I think this came out in like 2000, 2001. So I would play online against other people like shooters all the time. So and you were I had, playing online shooters when you were, what, you said 2001, so about so nine like years eight, old. Eight or nine years old. And I had no idea like who these people were i remember one time i like saw someone had a screen name that was similar to my cousin's name and i asked if it was my cousin because i I didn't know how big you know (laughs) big the world was and my dad i remember my dad being like yeah you can't just like ask people what their names are (laughs) like you're on the internet like you're just like that was the first time i like oh my god yeah like these are strangers with strangers across the you know united states the world whatever and i like i don't know i i didn't i don't think i was very good at it I wasn't bad at it, but I just, I like had, had a lot of fun doing it. Um, hmm. and, but I remember our, our screen name was based off another game that my dad had gotten, uh, Command and Conquer Red Alert 2. Ah, so CNC. Our, uh, our screen name was Red Alert 2W. <laughs> yeah, that was the, probably the biggest, like, biggest gaming influence. I've always, like, 
that's probably why like when Halo came out, I was like, yes, I want Halo and uh, you know, Call of Duty. Um, most my most played games have been first person shooters for a while because of the Delta Force series. And I uh, happened to have I bought them a while back in like a bundle on Steam and I booted them up last night. They have not aged well. <laughs> <laughs> no, a lot of first-person shooters have, have not, not aged well. No. Uh, Come a long way in that genre. <laughs> yep. The only one that is, I think, relatively still good is the kind of... I think it was the most last one to come out, which was uh, Black Hawk Down, which is ba- it's like based off... Based off the movie? It's not technically based off the movie. It's based off of the events... Because it like it you go through the like the movie as well, mm-hmm. but then you also go like through a fictionalized version of basically the whole like conflict of you know like Gulf War conflict and everything. So, yeah. um, but I remember I remember finding out there was a movie and I was like, what? There's a movie based on my favorite video game. <laughs> <laughs> and then I eventually I learned no, it's a movie based off of a very very bad military real mistake. life event. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. I watched I watched that movie a little too young too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, some would argue that you were playing that game a little too young, but <laughs> yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> yeah, interesting. All right, cool. Andrew, take uh, us into your okay. First game. So I'm going not necessarily in order of the most influential, but I'm going in chronological order. That's what I was going to do as yeah. well. So, so the first one for me, and I apologize if I'm stealing this off of potentially both of your lists if it's there but the first one i was going to talk about was pokemon blue you uh, son of a bitch <laughs> yeah, I've, got, I've got something not blue specifically i got something similar on mine well so for me i when i was growing up my sister is like 10 or 11 years older than me so she was going off to college right when i was starting elementary school um so when that happened she gave me her game boy pocket and a copy of pokemon blue and so i was playing that when i was five uh and i think it was so influential to me because it introduced me to gaming as a social construct. Mm-hmm. What? That's what I was going to say about my Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what I was going to say about my Pokemon. <laughs> Everything. Five. The only difference is I was doing it when the game came out. Yes. I, my parents gave me, sorry, I'll get into this in a right, second. Yeah. You do, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So it was the first time that I was able to, you know, I could bring the console with me. I was playing it, you know, in between classes at school, sometimes in class. Don't tell anybody. Uh, <laughs> didn't we all yeah and I would get in trouble for it and it you know brought me and then did the Pokemon franchise in general you know gave me introductions to the anime and Pokemon cards and I was bringing the cards to school and talking to other people about Pokemon and it's what made me start to talk to other people about video games mm-hmm. and, and what made me start making friends based on that and then bringing other people over to my house to play other video games and and uh, and then you know Pokemon itself has obviously been a super big influence in my life I, I i often think about it even though i'm not you know super invested in pokemon news nowadays uh i still recognize the amount of pokemon things that i have like i have a mm-hmm. mewtwo wallet and i have a gengar on my keychain like i have wear a, a poke pokeball belt like all the time you have a jigglypuff hat i have a jigglypuff hat no no i don't actually i just left it at greg's as my legacy <laughs> uh, i love it uh but yeah, it's just I there's so much Pokemon stuff that's in my life and I still talk to people about Pokemon and talk and I probably would not talk to people about video games if it wasn't for that. Mm. Yeah, so for me, uh as opposed to Pokemon Blue, mine was Pokemon Red. Yep. <laughs> that's just the one that I got. So growing up for me, I liked video I watched video games from a distance because I have two older sisters and an older brother. And I remember when we were super young 
I think it was the year the N64 came out. We got it for Christmas as a family. And we had a couple multiplayer games, but we didn't always have four controllers right off the bat. So being the youngest by four years, I always kind of had to sit back and watch. So my sisters would play Mario Kart or I'd watch my brother play Super Mario 64 or uh, my brother had a PlayStation while he still he he ended up moving out when I was pretty young. But there was a few years where I remember him still being there. We shared a room very briefly, which is funny because he was in he would have been in his early 20s sharing a room with a five or six year old (laughs) so imagine that uh but i have very vivid memories he had a playstation that no one was allowed to touch and i have very vivid memories of him playing final fantasy 7 and being in the stairs to the golden saucer that that image is burned into my head or one time when i was trying to sleep at one in the morning he was (laughs) Got, he got home from work. He worked in the kitchen, and he's like, "Hey Jeff, check this out." And I look, and he's playing the original Resident Evil, and it's the scene when the dog jumps through yeah, the window, oh and God. I was terrified because I was a small child. Anyways, so I always watched video games kind of from a distance, and would like play when I got my chance. But I distinctly remember my parents bought me a Game Boy Pocket. It was green. Uh, my sisters both had their own Game Boys original. Mm-hmm. My brother, I think, had his own Game Boy original. So this is the first time a video game was bought for me. This was mine and they got Pokemon red with it. And like you, Andrew, it just is what got me into my own world of video games. Video games finally became mine. I remember Mm -hmm. spending so much time going up and down, learning everything about this game. I have memories of being in my church CCD class thing and playing in the corner while no one else was or everyone else was doing something else. I was just not paying attention. I was doing my own thing, playing Pokemon. I remember being at my grandmother's house and hiding behind a chair and playing Pokemon the entire time. They lived two hours away, so it was like a day event whenever we would go to right, see them. Right. And no one could find where I was. I was hiding <laughs> behind a chair playing Pokemon the whole time. I have all these memories of just hiding away, playing Pokemon Red. And Pokemon itself is like take it or leave it. I, I love the game, the, especially the originals. They're super nostalgic for me, and they will always have a special place in my heart, and I'll be able to play them with my eyes closed. Mm-hmm. Literally, I can go through, uh, not Mount Moon, what's the second mountain? Celadon Cave without using without Flash. flash. Yeah. So you can't see anything except for your sprite, and I can still go through it. So I can actually play the game with my eyes closed. <laughs> uh, it, but it's just more of that. It was my first video game that was mine. And it really allowed me to get into games in a way that I hadn't been able to really commit myself to. So that's why it's the first one on my list as the thing that really captured me. And mm-hmm. basically it was like, yeah, this can be your hobby. It's not just something you can just kind of watch. And it can, you can play games like your brother and your sisters do. And my dad also very lightly played games. I have memories of him playing Rayman and stuff. And was like, oh, I can play games like my dad did. not so, yeah, it just, just was the game that introduced mm-hmm. me to being mm-hmm. able to play video games as a whole. So to continue our, our color pattern here, you played blue, you played red. My first, I don't quite remember which was first, but it was either leaf green or emerald. So mm-hmm. either way, it was a green game. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so Emerald would have came out first. It was probably emerald then. Okay. But leaf green was very close behind. Yeah, it was short after. So both of those are kind of combined my first experience in the Pokemon. I can't remember the first one I ever opened up. It was actually it was Emerald then. My first Pokemon ever was a Mudkip. The water I heard you started. like Mudkips. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I walked into that. <laughs> 
So yeah, I'm with Andrew on this. It was kind of that that first foray into the social aspect of everything. Because like, who didn't know Pokemon in elementary? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even now, I'm still making friends who still play them, and it's based around it, so it doesn't die. And I want to talk about this on my top ten last week, but I think last year, a couple years ago, with the release of Pokemon Go, that was like such a nostalgia trip into that original feeling of it. Uh-huh. It's like where I'm just running through. I never actually beat Emerald was the thing because like eight-year-old me couldn't figure out how to get into the Sutopolis City gym. Too much water. Too much water. Very much too much water. (laughs) Eight out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So, yeah. So, there was just that awesome feeling of I also didn't know how to play the game for shit. I remember in Leaf Green I had like level 10 everything and like level 65 Charizard that can one-shot anything. Yeah, that's how you played Pokemon when you were a kid. You You just had one overly powered Pokemon and the rest were... HM That's how I played blue. Yeah. I had a Blastoise. But yeah, so then when Go comes out, last a couple, 2016, right? Yes. It was around my first years of 2016. college. Mm-hmm. I got a very specific memory of the first year it came out when they only had the original 150. I was hanging out in a friend's room on the fourth floor of a building at URI in the dorms. We Three of us are passively checking Pokemon Go because they've been out for a few weeks. And we see the silhouette of, of a Dratini. <laughs> on the map, and it's like up until that point, no one even seeing one of these fuck little, little fucks around. Yeah. So then, cue the three of us bolting down four flights of stairs and just vanishing out into the middle of the night to try to find this thing somewhere close by. <laughs> so that for me just kind of brought back that old feeling of everything mm. that that Pokemon gave me. Also, that kind of like kind of plays into the whole turn-based battling thing. I feel like that's uh, something you introduced me to that kind of stuck around a little yeah, bit. Yeah, RPGs in general. RPGs in general, yeah, and just. Just that feeling of like the exploration, the adventure, the gym puzzles, like kind of that also fed in my love of puzzle based games a little bit, I think. And also because it was more strategic than a lot of things like because you had to think about it at a certain point. Like mm-hmm, once you're getting mm-hmm. better at Pokemon, you realize it's a, a game of you can put yourself at the advantage if you know what you're doing. So I think that's kind of what played in that whole experience for me and that social thing, too. I wish I can go back to 2016 and just relive the opening of Go. <laughs> <laughs> That was a super special time because everyone was just nice. Every, yeah, you could insane. just talk with strangers about Pokemon. People who hadn't thought about Pokemon in twenty years were doing it. Yeah, it was man. That was I a wish super we could special just, time. I wish we could just re-experience that. I would gladly wipe my memory of that game just to experience that Pokemon again. Pokemon Go too. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if Pokemon. Yeah, we were able to wipe our memories. It was still only the original one hundred and fifty, but it had the quality that it had today. Oh my That'd god, that'd be better. Mm. Because yeah, just, I'm always gonna have that memory of three idiots bolting down four flights of stairs and just running off into the dead yeah. night to mm-hmm. find a, to find a digital Dratini. I once was getting out of a movie at the theater and checked my Pokemon Go and saw Gengar on my map and sprinted to the parking lot. My parents had not left the theater. I was in the parking lot looking for Gengar, just running like a madman. Did not find it. Oh, do you have a Pokemon Go story? Well, there? So I, I was gonna say like. Like that same time, I was living in Narragansett, and I'm pretty sure I remember a day because my my roommate was like, su- I was like, I played it, I played it, but my roommate was super into it. Like that's all he like spent his summer doing. I think was playing Pokemon Go, and we he found a Dratini, and we were like, or no, he not, he didn't find it. He heard there was a Dratini in Wakefield, so we got in the car at like midnight and drove to Wakefield to find this Dratini, and we found it and we caught it, and it's like this whole this is the greatest you know, thing ever. It was just like, yeah, like you can't, you're never going to be able to relive 
That was such a magical summer. I always, I like very nostalgic for that summer for so many reasons. But Pokemon Go was a huge part of it, and I don't, and I kind of forget that sometimes. Yeah, I miss it. I I kind of. Sorry, you go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I kind of missed out, I think, because I lived in a more rural area, so I didn't get to catch Pokemon in my neighborhood. So the the only reason I was actually able to experience it because I was smack in the middle of a college. Yeah, exactly. I wish I lived on college in college. There was like they came out. I would turn it on when I was walking to class and pass by like ten stops. It so was amazing. Yeah, I didn't so, have that luxury. So my super awesome, everyone has their own, ooh <laughs> Pokemon go story. My story is I was in a grocery store waiting oh, I, yep. I was with Allison. I open it and there was a wild Charizard. <laughs> what? <laughs> and I wanted to scream at the top of my lungs because this is still during the height of Pokemon Go. Right, and I was right. just, I was freaking out to myself. I was like, Allison, there's a Charizard here. It's before she got into it. She's she's super addicted to it now. But back then she was like what? That doesn't that. matter. And I was like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> if I were to scream that there was a Charizard here right now, there would be actual chaos. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. I, it blew That's my mind. He was super weak. He was only like 900 CP. That doesn't matter. Uh, but it's still, yeah. The wild Charizard. That was, that was, was in that time where like you were only finding like Pidgeys and Rattata. So yeah. anything even slightly above that was... A reason for excitement. Uh, yeah. The good old days. Anyways, let's talk about games that came out when we were kids because this came <laughs> okay, out in 2016. Tangent, tangent. Yeah, yeah. Talked about the decade last week. All right. Go ahead, Derek. Give us your number two. Well, so I'll. Pokemon wasn't on my list, but I'll, I will finish up our little Pokemon talk. Talk with a little Pokemon antidote. So I didn't get. I remember I didn't get red or blue when it first came out because I, I had a Game Boy. Um, and I remember I had. I had like four. I had like six games. I had. Um, uh, Super Mario Land, uh, whatever Metroid came out for the Game Boy. Metroid a, 2, The Return of Samus. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, that was it. It was, I can't remember what the actual name of the game was, but it was that game where you had, there's a bunch of bricks up on the Tetris. top. Tetris. No, <laughs> I had Tetris. <laughs> and But you shot, you hit a ball back and forth. I think oh, it's just called that. Brick. It wasn't called, it had like a name back then. Breakout. 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 Okay. Um, yeah. And then one other random game. But, so, Pokemon Wait, hold out. on. Describe this other random game because we've got to figure it out. I, no, I don't know what it was. Ah, okay. I, I Morio, just know, like I know Gargoyles. I had at least five games. Okay. Golden because, uh, so Pokemon came out and... Um, it was it wasn't near my birthday or anything like that. Like you know, it was it wasn't near Christmas. It wasn't near my birthday. Pokemon came out, or it might have been in between. Right? Because if Pokemon came out in the fall, it might have been in between my birthday and Christmas. So it was like, oh, didn't it come I wasn't going like, to get February? it. February. Maybe it came out in February. Either way, it wasn't around my birthday or Christmas. I gotta look it up. September twenty eighth. Oh, okay, it, it was, was right like, after. It was right birthday. after my birthday. So the, I'm like, I'm not getting anything for Christmas, you know, or a present anytime soon, or whatever. So look up when the Game Boy Color came out. October twenty first, nineteen ninety eight. And then what, what Pokemon was what? It was about a month before that. It was September okay, 28th. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure my memory lines up correctly. So, good yeah, so, so everyone got Pokemon and I didn't. And so everyone was playing Pokemon and I was like the one person left out. I had, you know, I had to play Mario or Metroid. Breakout. Which now looking back, I'm like, damn, I wish I still had that stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but then the Game Boy Color came out and they had a special deal at Toys R Us. Where if you traded in your original Game Boy and five games, <laughs> you got the Game Boy Color in one game. And I I remember being so excited because I could finally get Pokemon. And I remember, I think I had more than five games because I remember going through and going, all right, which games like don't, so I like, it was like, I, could, I was not good at Mario. I was not good at Metroid. Breakout was like what it was. And I wasn't good at Tetris. So like those were like the four and then whatever this fifth game was. I don't remember what it was. Secret fifth game. Um, so I, you know, brought it, got my... 
the the see-through purple Game Boy yep, Color. Yep, yep. Oh, I yeah, had that yeah. one. And I got Pokemon Blue. The Atomic Purple. And I didn't. I don't think I ever got another Game Boy Color game or Game Boy game until the Game Boy Advanced. Wow. So that <laughs> just held you. Th- I mean, yeah. wait, you didn't get Pokemon got, Gold or Silver? I got Silver. Yeah, yeah. I remember I, that I was the only other game I bought growing for up. Uh, the Game Boy. I've still, I've still actually got uh, got it from my cousin on the other side of the family, or the other side of my family, where uh, he gave me his old Game Boy Color and still has a copy of Silver in it. I have, but it, no, but it no longer saves. Oh yeah, that that was the thing with mine. I had two copies of you gold. Just, you just got to open up and replace the battery. There's the battery. Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah. both of that someday. Both of my copies of gold didn't save, so I remembered like having to be at work mm. for the day with my dad playing through gold. I think I got to like the fourth gym, and I was like, I hope it saves this time, and then it didn't. <laughs> I have several copies of all of the originals because <laughs> yeah, people really just like. give them to me. I have my original ones. I have ones that Allison's family had, and I had one that Steve who emailed us earlier, he gave me, he's like, I was going to get rid of these. And I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> so he, I think he gave me gold, silver, yellow, Super Wario Land or something. Yeah. <laughs> Some random things. So yeah, I have a lot of just random Pokemon cartridges that I'm probably going to hold on to forever. So cool. All right, Derek, give us your yeah, second game. So my second game, um, this this one, I was going back and forth between a couple games um and i ended up landing on spyro the dragon oh mm. funny you've mentioned that i just started playing it <laughs> so my my first console was a playstation yeah um and uh that was i think one of the first games i got was spyro and that was it was the first game i think that i owned that i ever actually beat um cuz i had you know i had the game boy and i had you know mario and stuff like that but i never beat the games i was never good and so when i got the playstation and i got spyro Spyro, was, it was the first game I ever beat, and um, I would say it was also like the beginning of my love for platformers. Um, I I rebought the I bought the Reignited trilogy when it when it came out um, a couple you know early this year, and I played through it right away, and you know relived all that that magic. Um, I never did play the second one or the third one. Huh. Really, even on the Reignited trilogy. Uh, well, no, I did play them in the Reignited, but oh, okay. originally when they, uh, when they came out, I did not play them. I well, I did not play them to completion. My cousins got them, and I played, so I played them at their house. But I never got it myself because um, by then I had switched over to Crash Bandicoot and was uh, all about Crash Bandicoot. There but you go. Spyro was the one that started it all, uh, and so when they when they announced then they now uh, announced the Reignited trilogy, I was like super pumped. So I played all three. I played all the all three of them to 100 percent completion. <laughs> yep. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, and I mean, those games aren't super difficult. Yeah, 100%. they're not too too difficult. Mm-hmm. It's just all about getting on the gems. And, yeah. Yeah. That's what uh, I've been doing. I've 100 percented it so far. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. It's pretty easy. I think the the second one technically has like this little like extra world where you can you know you like do things. It's like a carnival land. I didn't completely finish that because there was a stupid roller coaster part that I couldn't. It was like kind of the controls were finicky and. I couldn't get it, so I kind of rage quit on that one. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I that was I still like I didn't know what to do at first when I first got it, uh, and I, I I would keep going into um, the like that the flying the timed flying where you have yep. to step on all yeah. the, you have to step in the first area you have to like step on five platforms in a fountain and it opened up like basically you had to go through and you had to. Um, go through like f- go through rings and then yeah, like shoot burn, the, burn shoot the planes people. yeah burn, burn the planes the chest, hit the, yeah get the chest the arches and then go, yeah so, but I could never do I never knew what I was doing and I kept would always go to that thing thinking that was like the first level 
and <laughs> I could never beat it. And then eventually I figured it out that there were, oh, there's other levels <laughs> to like do. Like all these other arches, you, you can go through those and there's there's levels that are open that you can go play. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm an idiot. You know, I'm just a kid. Oh, and my favorite rumor was that if you you could go through the door <laughs> in the first in the first world, there was a door like behind you when yeah. you first spawned. And it was like, yeah, if you go through the door, you'll spawn at the end of the game and you can go beat Nasty Nork right away. And I remember it like every time I'd be like, no, no, you can do it. You can do it. And I'd like run into the door. I'm like, ah, maybe not. I don't know. But I was convinced that... Man, what a... Video games <laughs> when we were kids is so interesting before the internet where just schoolyard yeah. rumors like that. Yeah. I had plenty of those in Pokemon where I had someone say to me once, if you go to Lavender Town and go to this specific gravestone and put use this item, you can you just get a list of Pokemon. You can bring any Pokemon back from the dead and have them in your party. I was like, what? And I tried it and it did not work. I... Not to go back to Pokemon, but yeah. it, it's such an easy one to go back to. I remember hearing, like, when I first heard the missing no rumor mm-hmm. uh, and then did it for the and first it was time real. and it was real, like, I was blown away. Yeah, that uh, was a crazy. I movie. then, I think at some point I had almost all my Pokemon leveled to 100 because I did, like, the Master Ball and Rare Candy yep, Glitch yep. and everything. Uh, oh, man. Pokemon. Anyways, back well, to Welcome yeah. to Game so, Show. Where we inevitably yes. talk about Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to Spyro. Um, I don't know if I... I don't think I have much more about... It was my first platformer. I like. Then I got Crash Bandicoot. Got into Crash Bandicoot. I'm sorry. Crash Bandicoot is incredible. <laughs> we'll talk about this someday. The, the, I will agree. The remaster is flawed. There, there are more frames in the jumps, and that's why it makes it... It's actually harder. Really? But if you play the, played the original, trilogy. the frames line up correctly, and it's actually not as hard. Interesting. It's fundamentally flawed as a platformer. <laughs> Just the idea of running at the screen, platforming at things that are appearing as you run. To a, never That's mind. what makes it unique. <laughs> that, That's not what that makes it unique. Made? That's what makes it bad. <laughs> I think you're just mad because you're not good at it. I, I've, no, that's not why I'm mad. <laughs> I didn't care for it because it was dumb. Yeah, Anyways. I've only I've only played the Insane trilogy. I 100 yeah. percented the first game and then neither. Of that's like the yet. one flaw in the first game is I think there's there's like one extra frame or something like that yeah. in the in the jump, in the animation or something like that. So it makes it a little harder. Like some of the some of the, uh, the especially the levels where uh, it's like the the boardwalk in the sky mm-hmm. oh, some of those God. jumps are extremely difficult because there's like an extra frame of timing or something yeah yeah it, Dude, it, fuck like, that level that's why you just jump up and walk on the rope all the way down frames are important people forget yeah yeah never forget <laughs> frames are important I know alright Andrew well you know what other game frames are important in super super smash, smash Bros. Brothers. melee oh melee Melee, melee. melee. So I didn't really uh, come to this. I was try. I was mulling over what my third game was going to be because I picked the other two relatively fast. Um, but then when I was talking to you, Jeff, yesterday about uh, Smash and Melee in general, we were watching some old esports clips. Mm. Um, I kind of put the pieces together in my head. I was like, Melee is what got me into esports. Yeah, you know, I always had that thought too, uh, and I decided not to put it on my list. But yeah, Melee was a huge. I started with Smash 64, but Melee is where it really took off. I started with Melee, and I had Melee growing up. I remember even before I had my own copy, I would play it with you guys at parties and family gatherings all the time. We did the black hole glitch. Yeah, with the peach turnips and the the Fox Fox and Falco reflector shine. Yeah. That was that was a, a ton of fun doing that. Just playing in general was good. Like before, I knew anything about the mechanics of the game and just figuring out how to be better as a kid was really fun. You know, figuring out 
trying to as a kid the satisfaction of mentally fooling your opponent playing kirby by rolling out of the way of their down b was, <laughs> was amazing i'm like kirby's above me he's gonna down b and then roll out of the way and kill him to be fair you were doing that earlier today greninja's above me hey, he's gonna up. down air and kill him. i'm gonna kill him with a smash shut attack. uh I, my brain's deteriorated <laughs> but yeah i mean we have the same experience with this where after melee came out every single family gathering going forward we played super smash brothers yeah, for a couple of smash four now ultimate it's yeah i mean we don't do it as much anymore because we're adults and we go places where there aren't video game setups yeah. <laughs> they used, they used to be like at my house and at adam's house and as our family gets older and uh, kind of grows up we don't really have video games just regularly set up at our exactly. parents houses anymore but yeah, dude, yeah. I'm right but there with I, you. I sunk hours and hours and hours into Melee and then eventually into Brawl. Uh, and then that's what led me to find Project M. And then I was playing Project M a lot. Um, and then I got back into Melee. And then I was like, I wonder if there are like tournaments for this. And then I looked up Smash tournaments. And that's how I got all into professional Smash. And then by extension into esports in general, which mm-hmm. has become a big part of my life now. Um, so I really credit Melee a lot to that. I remember, uh, like we were talking about, like the kind of playground rumors. There were rumors in Melee about being able to like unlock Toad yep. and Sonic if, and Tails and yeah. playing <laughs> as if you Master shoot, Hand. If you shoot every name in the end credits, you can get a chance <laughs> to fight Toad. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All and then, true. and then even unlocking Mewtwo and Game and Watch, like the number of battles it takes, because you can unlock, I think, most of the characters by relatively simple means mm-hmm. by doing classic modes and other modes. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of doing raw battles, uh, because you would unlock those characters other that those other ways, the actual number of just pure battles it takes to unlock Mewtwo and Game and Watch were severely higher. So, so I Mewtwo, remember Mewtwo was about seven hundred and fifty battles. It was seven hundred for Mewtwo. Game, Game Watch was a thousand. However, so there's two ways to unlock yes, every character. You could get Mewtwo by leaving your console on for twenty hours, and that's what you did. You just that's what I didn't. I didn't do that when you I was didn't a kid. Do that? Oh, no, I did that. You just so, put a match on. No time. Two controllers plugged in. Just have them stand yeah. there. Well, go to it, school. It multiplies go to bed. it by the amount of controllers you have. Oh, that's so right. So yeah. when I so a couple years ago when I bought a new GameCube since my other one broke, uh, I bought a new copy of Melee and played that for the nostalgia. And when I wanted to unlock Mewtwo, I plugged four controllers in and left it on for five hours. Yeah, and that was it. That was all it took. But when I was a kid, I didn't do that. I didn't know about. I thought that you had to do twenty hours, and I was like, I don't want to leave my my GameCube on. That's probably bad. Uh, so. <laughs> So I just grinded games and to get Mewtwo, mm. and the when I was a kid, I th- it's probably it's also plays into why Mewtwo is my favorite Pokemon. It's just because Mewtwo at the time was just like such a cool like I guess edgy character. I don't know. He he was just cool to me. So like finally unlocking him in Smash was the coolest thing. Uh, and then all the things in Melee are just super unique. You know, all of the target tests and the and the All Star mode. Uh, the All Star theme in Melee is the best All Star theme. The rest area. All the music in Melee is probably the best of Smash. That's true. Uh, But yeah, Smash Melee was just such a special, special game. I agree. So if Pokemon is the game that the podcast as a whole can't stop bringing up, Final Fantasy VII is the game that I personally (laughs) can't stop bringing up. (laughs) So I have a long history with Final Fantasy VII. It starts obviously with that memory that I just told you guys about Mm -hmm. where my brother was playing it in our bedroom I have super distinct memory of the golden saucer staircase where you, there's all the tunnels off to the sides where you can go to the different sections of the golden saucer. And at the top, uh, it was the scene with the, where you first meet Kate Sith, who, what is, uh, 
Cat Chi. Is that how you actually pronounce it? They just Set Chi or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Blow your mind. (laughs) Yeah, that's you don't pronounce it Kate Sith. They actually just said it's like of Irish descent. Yeah, Celtic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyways, very vivid memory of that, and I was always like, "What is that game?" But I was too young to kind of figure it out and have a conversation with my brother about it because I was a child and an idiot. But when so I had the N64 growing up as my main console mm-hmm. with my family and my neighbors, when they got a PlayStation 2, had a PlayStation 1 and they decided, oh, we'll give this to our neighbor kid. He's into video games. He has a Game Boy. He has an N64. So they gave me their PlayStation 1 and a handful of games. Was it a PlayStation or a PS1? It was a PlayStation 1. Nice. It was the original. <laughs> and there was a handful of games. There was Vagrant Story, which I've heard is really good, but I've never actually played it. There was... Um, there was Legend of of the Dragoon, mm-hmm. the Legend of Dragoon, which is a secret hidden gem of mine that I absolutely love, and I feel like no one knows what it is, and has never heard of it, never played it. It was a Sony published JRPG that it's kind of almost like Power Rangers and meets Final <laughs> Fantasy, but in a like fantasy world, they became these dragon knight people. It's so cool. Anyways, um, there was Final Fantasy Nine that they gave me, but th- the big one was they had given me Final Fantasy VII. And the reason I got so into it was I was looking through all the instruction booklets, which as a kid, instruction booklets were the coolest oh, thing. Yeah. Oh, yep. hell yeah. yeah. So I was looking through the instruction booklets and there were drawings of all of the characters from Final Fantasy VII. And I thought, all these characters look so cool. Let me give this game a shot. And I had to be about nine or ten. Um, and every game I had played up before that was either on my Game Boy Pocket or at that point it would have been Game Boy Color 2, um, or the N64. None of these games had any riveting stories or anything. They were all just mm-hmm. mostly gameplay focused. But this game was the first game that I played that had any sort of an interesting, cohesive story. And it really introduced me to a world, the world of JRPGs and RPGs as a whole, where I was like, oh, wow. Video games can be much more than just gameplay and mechanics. Obviously my thought wasn't that cohesive as a kid, but that's basically what it sums up to is video games can actually have really cool stories. And going back as a kid, I had no idea what was going on, but I was interpreting it in my own unique way as a kid and kind of filling in the blanks that aren't filled in with the story as with my imagination. So going through final fantasy seven, meeting all these cool characters and going to these sweet, awesome fantasy places was just so I don't know, eye-opening for me. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was one of the most difficult games I'd played up until that point because it was all about... Like, I'd played Mario and I'd played Banjo-Kazooie and, uh, I don't know, Mario Party. So this is the first game that was super numbers-based for me. And it really made me fall in love with strategy and Mm -hmm. numbers and grinding and that kind of stuff. And just over time, I slowly chipped away at it because I was a young kid. It was very difficult for me to kind of figure out where to go and what to do. But eventually... I got to a point and I just loved this game. And I started bringing the the instruction booklet to school and telling all of my friends about it. And I've told you, Andrew, before, uh, I have very specific memories of snowstorms. My driveway of my parents' house is this big hill and I would have to go out and shovel. Uh, often it was just me and my dad because my brother had moved out at that point and my sisters, you couldn't convince <laughs> them to come outside and help. So it would just be me and my dad. And this is before he had bought a snowblower. So it was just him and I shoveling this significantly long driveway on a hill. And I would just be thinking about 
it was a sn- it was snowing, so obviously I didn't have school. It was a snow day, but I was just like, as soon as I finish shoveling this, I can go in and play Final Fantasy VII. And maybe if I give Aerith this materia, or she would have been Aerith back then, if I give Aerith this materia and com- combine it with this materia, she could do this match. So like, I was just thinking about it all the uh-huh. time. Uh-huh. And I have one specific moment uh, when, spoilers for Final Fantasy VII, a game that's super old, uh, when Aerith, Aerith gets uh, killed by Sephiroth at the end of disc one. I actually cried as a kid because <laughs> I'm a small child uh-huh. who the one of the main characters of the game and arguably the main love interest of Cloud, the main character, was just brutally murdered in front of him. <laughs> and as a nine or ten year old kid, I did not know how to handle this. <laughs> um, so it kind of broke me. And again, it was just so impactful for me as a kid. And I think it's part of why it's my favorite game of all time is because mm. It just did so much for me when I was a kid uh, and really pushed me towards loving these styles of games. I, I now love all RPGs and JRPGs. I love number-based games. I love Final Fantasy as a whole. So, yeah, Final Fantasy VII was just super influential and kind of pushed me. It was my first dive into what became my favorite genre of games. So, yeah, I, Final Fantasy <laughs> VII. You've heard me talk yeah. endlessly about this game. I could talk about it. Even this longer, first, and it won't be and the last. We will, <laughs> and we'll talk way more about Final Fantasy VII when the remake comes out in a couple months. But that's all I have to say about it right now. It's super important to me, super influential to me for sure. Adam, give us your last game. All right, so this is a bit hard for me to narrow down because there's so many games I remember playing when I was younger. But honestly, this one came up. I think this one has to go on the list because this was a dead memory until about five minutes ago where this all this <laughs> on the fly <laughs> where all this conversation about like all these games we played when we were younger I mean, or yeah. things we loved. It's hard to think about the past like that. I had Exactly. Struggled. So all this awesome conversation over the last like what was it been like an hour now? Mm-hmm. This memory came out of nowhere. Do you guys remember Kirby and the Amazing Mirror? Nope. Yes. Uh, I don't remember yes. it, but I know of it. <laughs> I remember, for whatever reason, this memory just... I Derek's just, mind yeah. just actually exploded. That was the sixth game. It was Kirby. Oh, no, my Adam God. did uh, it. Kirby in Dreamland? Yeah. Yeah. That was the sixth game, because that was a, the one I kept. Adam was the one I was good at. the puzzle. I have a lot of memories of Kirby in Dreamland <laughs> on the Game Boy. Or was it the second one where you had the the hamster, the owl, and the fish? No, it was the first one. Oh, that game, I'm pretty sure it was, it was Kirby and Dreamland. Oh, man. I, so I don't know why. All yeah. this conversation just brought up this yeah, yeah. seemingly dead memory. I forgot this game existed until like 10 minutes ago. Where basically, it was like a Game Boy Kirby game, but the whole shtick was you got... Game Boy s- Advanced. It was Game Boy Advanced, right. That's the game. That's my first Game Boy. I had the Game Boy Advanced. So it was a game where Kirby got split into four separate versions of himself. Mm-hmm. Ah, and it was just Kirby, like, four swords. <laughs> more or less, yeah. But then you had to go through all these. It was like the first instance into like what back then could be considered like almost an open world kind of deal. Hmm. Where like you start with one of these mirror doors that was open. And then you'd be running through the levels. There's all these other random doors. And you go through yeah, the door. Yeah. It might send you like, you'd be in zone one. It could send you off to zone six somewhere. But then you might not have the right power. Because for those who don't know, Kirby just has all these random powers. He has some enemies. There'd be these metal blocks over the place where you only like only like three out of the 20 powers could get you through these blocks. So you could remember it later when you had that and go back through. And so one of the fun things was you'd be doing your thing. And you could play with other friends if you had the connector cables. But if you ah. didn't have friends who played it, like I did back then. If you didn't have friends. 
<laughs> rip. But basically, the other three would just randomly run off from the map and do their own thing. And then you have this phone in the game where you can just say, hey, I got the boss. Come here. And all three would show up and yeah. help you kick the boss's butt. <laughs> but looking back on it, that's almost kind of like the first very, very minor version of like open world exploration. Non- non-linear. Non-linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah non-linear, non-linear is a good word yeah. for it. Because it was just me wandering around the map until I found all the bosses. and Because you were trying to reassemble this mirror. And there were eight pieces of it. So every time you beat a boss, you got a new piece of the mirror. And looking back, this might actually be one of the first games I ever beat. Because back then, there were a lot of games where I'd play them, but yeah, I'd never actually yeah. finish. I'd never be able to tell you what games that I have or not have this, not beaten. <laughs> this, one, this one is a contender for maybe the first video game I ever beat yeah, on my own. And it was just... I get, This has to go on the list because, like I said, the memory was completely dead, forgotten, mm-hmm. until 10 minutes ago. <laughs> wow. So I think that's why it has to go on there because it's... One of those deep-rooted memories that just something random can just bring up for a second and then makes you remember why we love video games yeah, so much. Yeah. Just the experiences for it. So mm-hmm. I think just honorary mention, it's going up there because I just had that moment of, shit, remember why this is fun now. What <laughs> were you originally going to say? Uh, I was going to be something along the lines of like maybe Mario Sunshine or like... Like Crash Bandicoot or Spyro, like some kind of platformer, because I'm with Derek on this one. It was one of those three that, like, I still love platformers. Right, yeah. yeah. It was definitely one of those three, because I had, I had Spyro Hero's Tale, which I'd always rent from Blockbuster ah. back when that was still a thing. <laughs> yes. So that was one of, that was a mm-hmm. fun one, because mm-hmm. it had, like, you'd run around the map, but you'd have the mini games with the other characters in that one. Yeah. You'd play as Hunter with the bow and arrow, which is awesome. And then I had, a. Uh, Crash Bandicoot, The Wrath of Cortex, yeah, I think buddy. it was called. Before, that yeah, was a fun one. one. Yep. And then there was Mario Sunshine, which was one of my original Marios. And like those three in my mind are like my big three when it comes to like the the platformer or like the item collection mm-hmm. deal. Like I got this one thing. I'm just trying to get a bunch of these. Yeah. I remember playing Sunshine and uh, Wrath of Cortex and Sonic Heroes. Uh, oh man, you. Sonic Heroes. Yeah, that was a that's an old one. Adam, too. do you remember the like did you ever have the GameCube demo disc? I don't it think was so. uh my copy of Mario Kart Double Dash came with a demo disc mm. that just had a demo yeah, version yeah, of a whole too. bunch of games. It had Sonic Heroes, uh I don't remember any other of the games on there. <laughs> but it Sonic had, like, Heroes had like it had like ten eighty it had like ten eighty Avalanche. Copy. Yeah. Like it had Mario Party 5, a demo version of that on there. I've still got my copy of Sonic Heroes. Yeah, I want to get one and play it. Cause you you want to borrow mine? Uh, no, I'd like to have my own Okay. at some point. I'll just I'll sell you uh, mine. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, well, we'll we'll see. Okay. But but yeah, the, the demo disc was great. It introduced me to a lot of a lot of things. Please, Nintendo, please create a virtual console for GameCube games. Please. It'll happen. Well, um, I, yeah. <laughs> the virtual console is not even on the Switch. It'll happen. Not yet. It's been three years. Derek, Not yet. give us your number three most influential game uh, of the young master, Derek. So, obviously, like, as we're talking, like, just kind of like how uh, Adam was saying, all of these, like, memories, like, start flooding in. So, um, I think, Andrea, you talked about, like, not wanting to leave the console on for yeah. 20 hours. Um, so, when I first got a PlayStation 2, uh, this isn't my favorite game, but a, a little tangent. When I first got a PlayStation 2, uh, one of the first games I got was Parappa the Rapper 2. <laughs> okay. Uh, and this, I could say this is an influential game because it's where my, I fell in love with rhythm games. Uh, but I didn't have a memory card. And so, <laughs> I, left, I think I left my PlayStation on for a total of about five days 
before oh I could go then buy a memory card at, at like I convinced my mom to like take me to the store to buy a memory card for the PlayStation Ma, 2. We got to go to GameStop. <laughs> my PlayStation's been on for 5 whole days. <laughs> Parappa can't take it. Uh, but uh I think I can say I left my probably my my most influential uh, game for last. While it may be influenced by my first game, uh there are so many things outside of video games that I think this game influenced in me, and that would be Halo 2. Was Halo 2 before high school? Yeah, Halo 2 came out in 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so that's just on the cusp for us. Yeah. See, I didn't get into Halo super heavy until Halo 3. Like so. most people, yeah. So Halo was my full first introduction into online multiplayer and I would say, because I joined Pokemon too late, mm-hmm. my first introduction into like a gaming community, um, because my most cherished memories, and I think like for most people who played Halo Three, is custom games. Yes, we like to call them reindeer games. Uh, I oh my god, the amount of silly custom games. It, I had a friends list. I had. I remember my friends list was a hundred people. Jeez. None. I knew one person on my friends list. It was my neighbor, and everyone. Else, it was just people met in custom games, and you would just friend request them. And then, when you wanted to play a game, you probably you would just join their match, and they were most likely playing some random custom game. And you would just join. Like everyone, it was just kind of like an unwritten rule that anyone could join anybody's game, and you just were playing. And if you played by the rules, uh, you know they you wouldn't get kicked. Uh, the famous. <laughs> Line I remember was always like, uh, especially uh, if it was, there was like a kid in the group or something, you know, they'd be like, "Hey, uh, hey, what shape is Italy?" And then, the, uh, and they go, "A boot!" And then they <laughs> kick, kick him they out. They kick him out. <laughs> <It's just> Classic. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, I like some of my favorite. There was uh, president. Like all these, like my favorite thing Get about Mr. all of these <laughs> were that they weren't built with the game's rules, they were like unwritten rules. Like when mm. you play president, one team, one person went to blue team and then four people went to purple team and then everyone else was red. And it was like the four people on purple team were the bodyguards and the blue person was the president and you had to protect the president. And you know, it was all these like little unwritten rules, like, like an unspoken code of honor. Yeah. And if you broke the rules, you got booted. Yeah. And it, <laughs> like, just like the amount of gaming, this is what, like, I would come home and I'm excited to go play halo two online like every night because like I, I don't you know I don't know what am I gonna play a new game that I've ne- you know that's no one's ever taught me before or am I gonna like play a bunch of you know my favorite was Troy um, it was you only played it on Blood Gulch and you'd play it eight on eight one team was red one team was blue and everyone had brute shots yes. and there was no no shields. And you would run, you would just spawn in, and then everyone would wait, and they someone would yell charge, and you'd all run, and you'd just shoot your boot shots in the air at the <laughs> other side. And then the idea was, like, you had to empty your brute shot before you got to a certain point. Because then once you got to a certain point, it was like you were on the battlefield, so it was all melees. You had to only you kill just, each other with uh, melees. Uh, for you guys who don't know what a brute shot is, it's... It was, it was oh, like a grenade launcher. It's a grenade launcher, launcher and then the bottom is it. this yeah. curved blade. So you'd punch people with this sword <laughs> on the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the most incredible thing. I like I loved it so much because it was just like chaos. You just you're running and there's 
grenades falling out of the sky towards you. And you're like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to be the one guy that makes it. And then we're going to like duel at the end. Um, and then there were the glitches. So one of the things I fell in love with the most, I think, in Halo 2 was the glitches. So the most famous glitch is the sword cancel. So, oh, so if, you pressed, if you press the shoot button when using the energy sword and the X button at the same time, you, wouldn't, you would do the lunge, but you wouldn't hurt the person. It would, you would just lunge up to them and then stop. So you could get like everywhere around maps using this, this sword cancel. You could have someone jump in front of you and then you'd do it and you'd launch like 20 feet away. There was an hmm. exploit for a while where if you pressed Y and X at the same time while holding a rocket launcher or a sniper rifle and the sword, eventually you could like scope in on someone very far away and like launch like thousands, like hundreds of feet. <laughs> you could like get, you could, you could do it in the side of a warthog and then someone get someone a banshee and then like hold it. And then when you got out of the warthog, you would fly after it. Like there was all these like crazy glitches. You do rocket jumps to try to get the top of Zanzibar. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, then the, like the super jumps, mm -hmm. I made it my mission to memorize every single super jump on every single map. And I definitely don't remember all of them now, but I do remember a few of them. Uh, foundation, I know how to do that one because that you would always do it when playing zombies. Um, oh, yeah, how can you not say the first ever like zombies mode? Competitive Halo zombies, two. yeah. Um, not World of War. Not, no. no, not like wait, zombie waves. Like, it's oh. like a multiplayer. Yeah. Oh, oh like yeah. No, I, I see what you're, okay. yeah, I know yeah. what you're saying. You, you changed teams when you got killed. So yes. good. <laughs> um, oh. Um, so, but I think the biggest thing for Halo 2 was, uh, I had played Halo, um, but, you know, Halo 2 was kind of like my, that's where I think I fell in love with science fiction, because uh, I fell in love with the Halo universe, um, I wanted to know, like, everything and anything about it, I would buy all, like, the books that came out, and so it's like, my biggest influence, I think, when my, for my love with science fiction comes from just, like, this obsession with Halo, um, and like anytime I hear, like w when I'm reading other science fiction things and something reminds me similar, I'm like, Oh, that's kind of similar to Halo. Um, uh, I used to love like these, you know, crazy theories that like, um, like it was actually thousands of years in the future and not like only a thousand years in the future or 500 years in the future. And that like the the precursors were they were, they were like humans that are us and i i could i could go on about halo lore for yeah. hours you and i used to play a lot of halo reach yeah. back in college yeah. like halo we reach. bonded a lot uh, over uh, halo throughout the years odst i think came out when we first started yeah, college yeah and then then reach We'd came do out firefights together i'm pretty halo, sure i think halo 4 came out halo 4 came out in what like 2012 yeah that was when we were seniors in college yeah no yeah. no no it was the start of our junior year of college. Uh, right, yeah, yeah. Because I remember uh, it was election day, and me being the shitty human that I am, instead of going to vote, I bought Halo <laughs> and 4 and, and Halo played 4 it all, all day. day. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Halo, I would say Halo 2 is my most influential game on me in my childhood. That's understandable. I had all of that, all of those feelings that you have, but it didn't come till Halo three. Right. Yeah. A lot so. of people, I think Halo three was their first. I got lucky and, uh, my dad bought me an Xbox yeah. and also got us the online. <laughs> so, good. so we're, we're planning a giant land party with all of our friends where the main focus is going to be Halo. Uh, Master Chief Collection, so a little bit of two, a little bit yeah. of three all over the place. A little bit of one. And we're going to try to relive the glory days. So, <laughs> And I'll try to live it for the first time. Prepare yourself I'll for that. I'll try not to die. 
Uh, cool. All right, Andrew, give us your last one real quick. All right. So real quick, bro. Well, not I, can, necessarily. I can speak about this for probably hours. My, the last one that I have is, uh, actually Minecraft. Ah. Uh, and that's correct. I played Minecraft in our defined childhood. Uh, Derek just ran and left. Should we wait? No, you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so I played Minecraft, um, the first for the first time when I was about I think eleven or twelve it was in late middle school, um, so my uh, it was it was right when it was I think starting to gain some traction it was still in beta uh, my one of my friends I think at the time was like Andrew you got to check out this game it's so good it's Minecraft and I was like okay cool so he brought his laptop over I or maybe I had my own laptop at that point I wasn't sure. Um, but he let me borrow his account and we, he showed me Minecraft and like, I was just hooked as, as you know, from that point, uh, I, I would share his account for a while. Eventually I got my mom to use her credit card to buy me a new account because I didn't have an allowance growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the only times I would get, you know, money and be able to buy games and stuff is, uh, either my birthday or Christmas. Uh, but this is the first time where I was like, mom, you need to buy this for me. Uh, and original funny story, the bank originally wouldn't let her do the transaction because it was based in Sweden. Yeah, the same <laughs> so I had it was like, yeah, it was since it was it. offshore. Uh, the bank was like, "Are you sure about this? Like, you know, this is not American, right?" And my mom was like, "Yes, my son just wants to play Minecraft." Uh, so, <laughs> so before League of Legends, before any PC game, Minecraft was like what I played. It got. Minecraft is what got me into PC gaming, um, which is was my first soiree outside of Nintendo, you know? So Minecraft was really, really big for me. I would get home from school and just play it all the time. I was playing it with my friends, you know, going onto servers, making custom worlds, doing custom game modes, making a bunch of different single-player worlds. When they introduced creative mode, I was, like, going into creative mode, and I would just do, like, I would do pixel art in Minecraft and just, like, copy like block for block a google image pixel based thing i made a blastoise once that was like my big my big big pixel art project that i did um and i would just have those lined up in a world and then i would just do endless survival worlds i would uh you know invite my friends over and have them make their own worlds and show them my stuff that i was doing and then i would eventually they made it so that you can do land worlds so i would have my friends Mm -hmm. come over and we'd do land worlds and then we were playing it in school later and uh aside from actually purchasing the account minecraft was the first like multiplayer game that i spent money on i was i used to frequent a server that has a bunch of mini games uh and stuff and i bought a vip package on there so i had like vip status so i had like certain permissions i had could like i had like (laughs) access to flying i had access to in certain game modes like it was pay to win in a certain aspect (laughs) there were like certain kits in game modes in the in the hunger games mode that you could only get if you were a vip so i bought vip I convinced my mom to spend like $30 on it. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, Minecraft was really, really big for me. I have like thousands and thousands of hours into Minecraft. It's what made me, you know, get steam. And I started playing a lot of TF2 and, and I think I never got quite into Gary's mod, but I was playing a lot of steam games with my friends. It's what started to, you know, get me into, it's how I play games now. Most of the time, it's how I play games with my friends. At least a lot of my friends, you know, as they grew up kind of waned away from console gaming and, and moved more into PC gaming. And that's how I was able to actually, you know, communicate and have a social, uh, life with friends that way. 
Solid. Yeah. I was never a big Minecraft person. I would get, I have brief stints with it or maybe like there'd be a week where I was mm. super into it and then I'd fall off again for another year or two. And I very infrequently come to it for a very infrequent amount of time, but I can see the, why people would love it for yeah, sure. Yeah. I used to like read the patch notes for Minecraft, oh, wow. like, like as they released what they did before they would have a big update, they would release snapshots, mm -hmm. which is basically like every week or two weeks they would have, uh, so they would add some additional changes to the next snapshot. It was almost like a like a patch, but before and like it's almost like if in a League of Legends patch, for example, instead of just releasing a patch each week, they released a patch like three times a year. But in between each of those patches, they kind of released little update like it, like they it's like when they update the PBE every day. Mm. It in Minecraft it was like they would release a snapshot every week with like little incremental changes to the to the new update. Uh and so I was like reading up on the stuff they were adding all the time and then like, you know, actually getting to the updates and experiencing the move from beta to full game and yeah. I was I was a little disappointed we didn't get to talk about it in my in our game of the, de mm -hmm. the decade discussion because it was a really really big one for me. Hmm. Solid. Um, all right, so we're running pretty long, so I'm just going to talk about my last one pretty quickly. So I've, I personally, for me, video games are at their best when they're handheld. This is a super personal thing. I've always mm. loved my handheld games more than anything else. There's nothing more special to me than on a nice day, laying outside in the backyard, particularly in a hammock or something, in a swing, and just kicking back and playing a video game on a beautiful day that's optimal gaming for me uh i used to do it with pokemon as a kid i did it that was how i experienced hollow knight for the first time i was laying in a hammock in my backyard mm. and i would play for hours and hours at a time to the point where i was so obsessed with it my <laughs> switch would be dying and i would run an extension cord out in my backyard <laughs> just to charge it uh. so i could stay outside so <laughs> handheld gaming has always been super important to me and when I would go on vacation with my family every year to Maine, my mom would always buy me one new Game Boy game. And so this is once a year I would get one mm -hmm. new Game Boy game to last me for until my birthday and then Christmas. And those are like the three times a year where I got a game. So I would always put a lot of research into the games I wanted. And there was one year where there was a game, Game Informer, which I had a subscription yeah. to. And I found out a lot of my gaming news from there was a game called final fantasy tactics advance and <laughs> I, I have you heard that i love final fantasy um really i hadn't noticed game informer gave that this game a 9.5 and i saw screenshots of it and i read that review several times and everything about it was made me said i want this game so bad and i waited months to be able to get this game and finally play it and i have never been more addicted to a single player game than this game <laughs> i so the way this game is structured it's a tactics game obviously it's a sequel to the uh the ps1 yeah Final tactics. Fantasy tactics game which i would love to put in our hat because i don't know i don't think any of you have ever played it arguably the best final one of the best final fantasy games ever is final fantasy tactics hmm. um so game boy final fantasy tactics advance came out for the game boy advance and the way it was structured was you were in the world of evilis ivilis however you want to pronounce it uh and there was a job system and it was a grid-based tactics fighting game and there were 300 missions that were kind of like there were key missions that were story-based mm. and when you completed that one you go on the next one and then you'd go to pubs and there would be missions and so on so 
this is the game that I've spent the, the most time devoting myself to. It's the game that kind of got me into going on to game FAQs and game cheats and stuff uh-huh. and really reading in depth and learning as much as I possibly could about a single video game. And it just consumed me. <laughs> uh, if you beat all 300 missions... You would on in this world there are judges who watch over battles and there are laws in the land. So on and the laws change based on the day. So there could be a day where it's illegal to use uh, lightning magic. So there's <laughs> judges there monitoring the battles. And if you use lightning magic once, you'd get a yellow card, and the judge would be like, "You can't do that." And, but if you would kill someone with lightning magic or use it more than once, you'd get a red card, and your guy would go to jail, and you'd have to spend money to get them out of jail. Hmm. It was this whole thing. But if you beat all 300 missions, you would unlock the main judge character. His name is Sid. Yeah, Sid ah. Final Fantasy. He, you'd unlock him on your team and he was busted because he can move across the entire map and just about one-shot anyone. So, I don't know. Just the amount that there was to do in this game, mm-hmm. so many different jobs and weapons and whatnot. There's one mission where it was like a tournament bracket and if you beat it, you get a sword called Save the Queen, I want to say it was called. And every time you beat that mission, I don't know if this was actually true or not. My friend Dan Santos <laughs> told me this growing up. Every time you beat that mission, the attack stat for that sword would go up by one. So I did that mission about, I don't know, 200 times. <laughs> oh, my to God. Make it insanely strong <laughs> so I could one shot anything. But just, yeah, this is the game that got me into min maxing. It's the game that got me obsessed with just completion and really dissecting a game and it introduced me to the tactic genre which as everyone knows i say about once an episode that tactics is my favorite genre of games Mm -hmm. and i love them yeah this game was just super important to me as a kid it's not a game a lot of people play or are aware of but it was it's my i think it's the greatest uh game boy advance game of all time and there's a lot of really good game boy advance games out there so yeah final fantasy tactics advance good stuff all right, cool. So, yeah, that was all of our top three or so it's that. Yeah. So top 12 most influential <laughs> games for us growing up as kids. Uh, yeah, we're running super long this time. So let's uh let's get into trivia and uh, oh boy. and then get out of here. Derek's got another ultimate game to go play. So for the topic this week, I decided that probably the single most influential console for trivia for me or for trivia for uh, video games for me growing up was the N64. It's where I kind of like learned and grew up with video games. So our trivia is going to be about the N64. Okay. Yay. So. The one console I didn't own. Uh, see, I was like, <laughs> age-wise, Derek should have an advantage here. You I have done the Dreamcast. I'm just trying to help you out, buddy. <laughs> the Dreamcast. I'm trying my best to help you out, but you're just not letting it happen yeah I, I somehow you're always picking the categories i know nothing about what company made the dreamcast uh, sega sony uh, okay question number everyone ready let's do with this. their notepads yeah let's do it question number one the n64 released in north america with two games one of them was super mario 64 what was the other yeah, had me. You had me in the first half. Like, oh, Super Mars. I think I actually know this. I think <laughs> I you'll secretly know. actually still do really good the, at this, this Derek. Is, this is a guess. Oh, I knew it at one point. Did oh, you know? Yeah. You got to write something down. I know. Mm. I'm not gonna write nothing like Adam. Oh, I wrote something a, down. That was a call out. I mean, Oof. in general. Oh. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, I don't know. Yeah, I've won. I didn't the, write I've, won anything. I've won the last two. Ooh, that that he's, he's on the street. Except Ooh. I've won, I don't know, twice that many. So Ooh. and them fighting words. Derek, I'm, I'm not gonna a little blood one. here. 
Oh, God. All right. You ready, Andrew? Yeah. I, All right. I you go first because you're least likely to get it right. Harvest Moon. Uh, Adam. I guess some form of Tetris. Derek? I said Excite Bike 64. No, you're all wrong. Damn it. Oh. It was Pilot Wing 64. Oh, oh damn it. Right. The other 64. <laughs> there's only, yeah, there's only. The other game. I there's two games. There's a, uh, in Japan, it came out with three games. The Japanese one, it's some weird Japanese title that oh, I do okay. not know. But yeah, it was Super Mario 64 and Pilot Wings. Yep. Have I any mean, of you played Pilot Wings 64? No. Because it was the other game my uncle had. <laughs> it's very boring. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, no points for anyone. Question number two. Blizzard Entertainment only ever released one game on the N64. What was it? Oh, See, these are I, things I, I've heard before, and mm. I can't piece together the And that's the secret for my trivia. <laughs> Something that somewhere deep in the back of your brain, you know. It's not like super crazy specific things, but I'm trying my best, Derek. I'm feeding <laughs> I, you. I know. You're giving me a chance. You're giving me a chance here. <laughs> All right, Adam, what do you think? What was uh, the one game Blizzard released on the N64? Some kind of Warcrafts? Uh, I don't remember. Andrew? Turok? Starcraft. Starcraft 64 uh, is yes. the crash. Oh, oh, thank God. I got the I craft remember. part right. I have Starcraft 64, which is a decently rare uh, N64 cartridge. He's doing it. Derek's uh, in I, the I put lead. 64 in my answer. I put 64. I, I, okay. <laughs> I was going to give it to you no matter what. Uh, all right. Derek has one point. For the first time ever, Derek has a lead in trivia. Oh, my God. Uh, Andrew and Adam have zero. Question number three. The N64 expansion pack was an add-on that doubled the system's RAM and was required for four games. What was the game it was sold with in a pack-in? So if you bought this game, it came packed. The expansion pack came part of the package. This isn't the Rumble Pack. No, no it's, it's the, not the Rumble Pack. The, okay, the expansion, the expansion pack. pack. It's red. If you look at my N sixty four in the entertainment system, there, it's that little red thing on the. Yeah, it's kind of hard to see. There's a little red package that goes on the top. Okay, so there was a game. Four games required it. Uh-huh. There was about twelve games that it enhanced. Four games required it. Expansion pack. And it was sold with a specific game. What game was that? Okay. No idea. Mm. This is all a little bit before me. I have memories of playing on a few of these things, but I never had one myself. See, N64 was super important to me growing up, and I figured it would be for Derek, but apparently he didn't own one. I didn't own one. All right, Derek. But I knew enough people that did own one. Derek, you can go first on this one. Everyone ready? <sighs> Yeah, sure. Was, what I, was I the game that was sold with the RAM? Experience? I went with I think Donkey Kong sixty four. Andrew, Pokemon Stadium two. I wrote down Ocarina of Time. It is Donkey Kong sixty four. Yes. Oh, oh he's it. doing it. He's doing I'm it. I'm doing right, it, it's it's ladies time. and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> it was Donkey Kong sixty four came on a yellow cartridge, and it was one of the few games that required the RAM. The other ones were Majora's Mask, Perfect Dark, and I don't remember the last. I almost one. guessed Majora's Mask to be honest. All right, Derek has two. Andrew and uh, Adam have zero. Question number four. What is the top-selling N64 game that was never bundled with the console? Bro. Uh, Put some thought into it. So, yeah, there's a few games that you could buy the N64 and it would automatically come with a game. Really? Yes. Okay. However... I'll give you an example. There was uh, you, a bundle that had Star Wars Pot 1 Pod Racer on it. <laughs> Star Wars Pod Racer. So what game was never bundled with the console that was the highest selling N64? I feel like this is a trick question. Is it? Hmm. How are you, everyone writing something down? Andrew, you got uh-huh. something? Derek, you got something? Something is right. Adam? Yeah, I got something. Derek? Yeah, I got something. All right, Andrew, go first. Ocarina of Time. 
I also wrote down Ocarina of Time. I put Mario Kart 64. It's Mario Kart yes! 64. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Derek wins. Yeah. So Congratulations. I've done it. Mario Kart. The number one selling game was Super Mario 64, obviously, with 11.9 million. Yeah. The number, but that was a pack-in for the original yeah. 64. Uh, the second one is Mario Kart 64 with 9.8 million. I forgot Mario Kart existed. Yeah, same. <laughs> Remember how in the, earlier in the episode I said Mario Kart is the one of the top selling games for yeah. every yeah, con- every Nintendo console? That was a hint. Also, I wasn't there? Oh, I want to sure. say there was a package that came with uh, Zelda. Uh, was with, there? With I was looking this Again, up I, earlier. I wasn't. I yeah, the N sixty four was really before like, I was alive. Yeah. yeah. So. Um. All right. So Derek has three and has secured his win no matter what. Andrew and uh, and Adam I'm even have for zero. one point now. Come on. Uh, Andrew, you might get this one, Adam. I'm not sure what your knowledge is. Ah. What game did Waluigi make his first appearance in? Hint, it was on the N64. Yes, I do know this one. All right. Andrew wrote it down immediately. Derek (laughs) wrote it down immediately. (laughs) All right. So, Adam, just whenever you're ready, you can just say it because everyone else already has it. I know it's some kind of Mario sports game. Okay. Which one? I'm shot in the dark. Tennis. Yes, it is tennis. Yeah, Mario, Mario tennis, Mario tennis <laughs> yeah. was the first game that Waluigi ever appeared in. It was part of the... There's two factors for my family buying Mario Tennis, which was a big game in my household. One, we were a tennis family. All my sisters grew up playing tennis. I grew up playing tennis. My dad, to this day, still watches all the big tennis tournaments. And number two, we were like, who the fuck is this purple <laughs> tall lanky guy in the back of the box with an upside-down L on his hat? So, wow. Mario Tennis. Wow, yeah. Okay, I knew... I did know the fact that Waluigi first appeared in a sports game, and I was barely sure it was tennis. I just didn't I didn't remember or even know that it was on the 64. Yep. All right, so with his first ever victory, Derek comes away. He has four points. He's the N64 champion and has never owned one. Oh, yeah, who would have thought it would have been <laughs> Andrew and Adam have one point. All right. It was Bonus. that sacrifice of those five games yeah. that many years ago that we win the day. <laughs> so, tiebreaker question for funsies? Yes. Oh, why not? How, why is it even a question at this point? How many games released on the N64 in North America had the number 64 in the title? <laughs> oh. I counted it out myself. Is, hmm. I wrote a number. I got a number, yes. Uh, Andrew, what'd you write? 24. Adam? 10. Uh, 30. It was 43. Oh, really? Wow. That's okay. a lot. Wow. I was, re- I was counting. I was like, Oh my god! Are they gonna do it? Are there gonna be sixty-four <laughs> games? 64? No, there was not sixty-four. That would have been legendary. It would have been. It should have been the secret best market. They got to make twenty-one more in sixty-four games. We just go back um, and redo it. All right. So yeah, that quick uh, name them all. Mario sixty-four. Did you write them Quest down? Quest sixty-four. Mario Kart 64, Donkey Kong. So now I'm just li- <laughs> rambling them off. Um, all right, guys. Doom 64. So Doom 64. <laughs> if you have any trivia suggestions for me, uh, send an email to GameSharksPodcast at Yahoo.com. You can also email us if you have any questions you want us to discuss, kind of like the question that Matt had asked us. And if you want to send us your three most influential games going up, we can read them on the next episode show, and that would be super cool. I would love to hear that uh, and it kind of it dates people, which is really cool. You get to yeah. see around what era they grew up in. Like, obviously, Andrew and Adam grew up in the GameCube era, and Derek and I grew up more in like the N sixty four slash. Derek had a PC area, so yeah, it's really cool to see what got people into games. So yeah, send us an email with any of those things. Game Sharks Podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, you can check Andrew out on YouTube. You can check Turtle Sharks his YouTube channel. They post videos every day, except every Sunday. weekday, or every day except for Sunday. Um, fun let's plays there 
And yeah, that I think wraps it up for us. You can follow us on Instagram too, Game Sharks Podcast yep. on Instagram. Allison, my lovely, beautiful wife, is in charge of running that. Yeah, next week, uh, we're seeing the Sonic movie this weekend. And so next week, we're going to have a special guest on, big Sonic the Hedgehog fan. And we're just going to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog movie, how it is, and other maybe video game movies and adaptations that we've seen. So get ready for that. Uh, Yeah, that wraps it up. All right, everybody. We will see you next week. Goodbye. Later.